BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I did what had to be done to... to keep yourself alive. Lord Varys has proven himself a loyal servant. Proven himself loyal, quite the opposite. If he dislikes one monarch, he conspires to crown the next one. What kind of a servant is that? The kind the realm needs. Incompetence should not be rewarded with blind loyalty. As long as I have my eyes, I'll use them. You wish to know where my true loyalties lie? Not with any king or queen, but with the people. The people who suffer under despots and prosper under just rule. The people whose hearts you aim to win. If you demand blind allegiance, I respect your wishes. Grey Worm can behead me, or your dragons can devour me. But if you let me live, I will serve you well. I will dedicate myself to seeing you on the Iron Throne, because I choose you. Because I know that people have no better chance than you. And now, from the crypts of Winterfell, it's your favorite podcast of Thrones, Game of Microphones, with Sir Duncan and Lady Rachel. Winter is here. Seven blessings, sheep and dragons, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, Shepherd of the Damned. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, the unemployed. (laughs) (laughs) And this is episode 104. On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, season seven, episode two, Stormborn. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season seven. If not, there's still time to take a crack and axe to the face so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Good episode this week. Yeah. 
I, I, I forgot about so many different things that happened in this episode and uh, was repeatedly surprised by all these crazy things that were happening. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Lots of um, little things. I mean, the ending was great, obviously, like the battle on the ship. And I'm sure we'll get oh, to man. that. But yeah, craziness. Like lots of story movement in mm-hmm. this episode for me. Definitely, definitely. My number five, uh, if you want to start with mine, is where the episode starts. Oh, that's my number three. So let's do it. Cool. So, yeah, the episode starts. And my number five is Danny and Varys. I love this so much. Yeah, these guys are such a cool combo, right? It's uh, like the the tension, knowing that Varys was running Robert's operation, trying to hunt down Danny and everything for all those years, and the anticipation of how she was going to react to him, and the the revelation that he's really been pulling strings behind the scenes to help her. It was pretty, just pretty crazy to for, um, to witness the culmination of all that as they clash, right? <laughs> right, and also just. Like seeing them be brutally honest with each other. Yeah. Like, oh man. Wow. It was really cool. So like, I really do believe both of them. <laughs> yeah, I do too. There's no reason not to. Um, it's interesting though. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. First, the episode starts out with uh, a storm happening and Danny and Tyrion and Grey Worm and Missandei and Varys are all hanging out in the table, the painted table room. What a shot room. we get like panning up to that room Oh, like yeah. Out, from outside. And then we see like Danny's silhouette in the oh, candlelight of this gorgeous, basically like room that's built into the side of a mountain. Yeah. How cool is that spot? Right. I love it. So epic. So epic. So I love Tyrion's line, which opens the show. He says, on a night like this, you came into the world. And he's talking about the night Danny was born, the storm born, where we get the title of the episode. And Varys remembers that storm as well. He says, all the dogs in King's Landing howled through the night. And I thought that that description evokes like really just an impactful imagery, an ancient sense of fear and tension and uh, uncertainty. Um, you know what I mean? And dogs howling is such like a eerie sound. Yeah. Or, you know, dogs and wolves howling. It right. gives me the, you know, like. It always makes the hairs on your neck like stand up. That's what I mean. It, it harkens back to a time in our in our progression of building civilization where we were out in the darkness and had dogs helping us to survive, but we we didn't have like secure um, like buildings and stuff like we did nowadays. So when darkness came and you're camping out, basically, if the dogs start barking, like y- there's genetic memory built into us to feel like a like tension and know that something's off. Right. So yes. uh, it's, a, it's sort of like evokes this ancient emotion, uh, which is really cool. I love that description. Like a primitive, like something triggers like pr- in our primitive brains about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Danny uh, wishes that she could remember it. So um, she's like, I always thought this would be a homecoming, you know, when I finally arrived back at Dragonstone, Westeros, but it doesn't feel like home. And I thought that was kind of a sad uh, little moment. What did you, what were your thoughts on that? How, what did, what do you think she was thinking? I think she would have maybe felt more connected to Dragonstone and maybe that's not occurring like or not happening to her right now. Um, so I think she's feeling like 
they're not really doing anything. Mm. They just, they just sailed from one place to another and it's an abandoned Island. Right. Like, right. She's used to like living in this big temple or pyramid with all this like kind of chaos going on around her. So I think it might be a little quiet right, for that, what that Danny's used to. Um, <laughs> Interesting. So she, I mean, maybe she thought like someone would try to oppose her here at Dragonstone. Maybe she thought that they would start conquering, you know, King's Landing a little bit sooner. So and then, of course, she's had this probably like image in her mind of what her homecoming would feel like going back to the place of her birth. Right. But like right. she says, it's like, I don't remember it. So it's not home to me. It doesn't me. feel I, familiar. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like familiar. a strange place. So right, interesting. kind of a weird homecoming. And every seat that she's sat thus far, she's sort of had to fight for, except for being sold off to Drogo, right? So she just yeah. kind of walks up to this castle unopposed. And <laughs> it's not like normal where she has to put in some effort to, to get it. Right? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, so I think it's a little lackluster and just interesting. like... Okay, so we're here. Like, let's get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> and get totally. to like where some action is. So Varys starts talking to her, and immediately she thinks that he's manipulating her. Like Viserys used to be manipulated, right? Yes, yeah, um, sewing dragon banners in secret. Right. So I thought that was really funny that she brings brings it up, and she's sort of mocking Viserys and talking about how stupid how he was stupid enough to believe. Um, like tales like that being whispered in his ear by people manipulating him and trying to control him. And she, uh, she picks up a dragon little figure from the table. Right. And she says, if, if Viserys had three dragons and an army at his back, he'd have invaded King's landing already. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, he would have been a shit King, you know, but her picking yeah. up that dragon figure figurine sort of symbolized, symbolizes her eagerness to use her dragons and like that, that inner dragon inside of her ready to shoot fire and get moving and take action. Yeah. And, uh, Tyrion speaks up and he says, you know, conquering would be easy. Yes, indeed. But you're not here to be queen of the ashes, right? That's, you know, you have more of a mission in mind. AKA you don't want to be Cersei, <laughs> you know, <laughs> especially since she just blew up the sept and she's like queen of the ashes of that. Right. So that's a pretty much relevant recent example of this type of queen of the ashes type of uh, sentiment. So she agrees with Tyrion and, and says no and puts down the dragon figurine symbolizing um, her restraint in this moment and her willingness to take more diplomatic approaches as opposed to, as Tyrion says, turning the seven kingdoms into a slaughterhouse. He says, we can avoid that. With, with the Tyrells and the Dornish, we have super powerful allies. If these great houses support your claim against Cersei, the game is won for us. We don't need... Because she doesn't even... I mean, she doesn't even control half of the seven kingdoms. Right, yeah. Not, <laughs> not even a fraction. So it's we like we just need, like... like basically get our strategy and go with it. Yeah. And so this makes her realize that, oh shit. Yeah. The Dornish are on our side. She realizes that she never properly thanked Varys for that. So I thought this was kind of a cool moment where she, uh, very queenly, she turns to Varys and says, you know, I never, I never properly thanked you for that, for winning the Dornish to our side. And, uh, Varys is like, well, they joined because they believe in you. Right. And uh, Danny starts getting a little aggressive here. <laughs> she's 
She's yeah, like, you served. It. Yeah. And I'm like, uh-oh. She's like, you served my father, didn't you? He's like, yeah, I did. And then you served the man that overthrew him. And he, he realizes that she's, this is turning into an interrogation, right? And he's like, I had a choice, your grace. Serve Robert Brathian or face the headman's axe. And that's never good. You don't want to face the headman's axe. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so, uh, so that's understandable. But she's like, but you didn't serve him long. You turned against him. And he explains that while he was an improvement in certain ways over the Mad King, her father, who would like there, as he says, there have been few rulers in history as cruel as the Mad King, Magor the first, Magor the cruel, the cruel being one of them as well. Uh, yeah, definitely, who built the Red Keep. And he go, he goes on to explain that Robert was neither mad nor cruel. Um, he just simply. Had didn't give a shit basically. He know? was aloof. Yeah, aloof. <laughs> so the whole totally. idea of ruling a kingdom. Yeah, aloof Gorgon. So Danny's Danny interjects. She's like, "So you took it upon yourself to find a better ruler?" And she's getting mad. You can you can tell his disloyalty is aggravating her. And so Tyrion tries to intervene, <laughs> and uh, he steps up. Your Grace, when I was ready to drink myself to death, <laughs> Varys told me about you, and she cuts him off and like ignores him entirely and continues her interrogation. Right? And she's uh, she's like, you know, before I came to power, you you were backing Viserys. She's like, how could you have not known that he was cruel and stupid and weak and? would have been a terrible leader. He's like, she's like, would, would the, did you think with all of the information from your spy network that he was going to make a good King? He doesn't really answer he, her there. Yeah, he doesn't at all. And that's, that's sort of suspicious. I'm, I'm betting that Sir Patrick, uh, his spidey senses are tingling after that. For sure. Because he just, he just like totally glosses over it. And he was like, well, until you got married to call Drogo, I really didn't know anything about you except that you were said to be beautiful. Right. Like, do we believe that also that he didn't know anything about Danny? Um, I don't. Um, I think he knew more than he's leading on now, but I think he was probably more focused on Viserys because uh, he was a male and she's a female. I think that might just be a small difference. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, Yeah, so he's like, so Danny continues, you know, so you and your friends traded me like a prized horse to the, the Dothraki. And I'm like, oh, yeah, God. fuck, right? What a way to put that. And again, he doesn't even like apologize. He's like, you turned it into your advantage. Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was uh, like damn, <laughs> feeble response, but nice try. <laughs> he tried to make it empowering, like, well, you took a disadvantage and turned it around and made lemonade out of lemons. But instead, Not he just kind of like, came across as that. being kind of dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, this is where she starts getting really serious. Like, who gave the orders to kill me? Right. Was it King Robert? <laughs> it re- kind of reminded me of the scene with Oberyn. Who gave the order? <laughs> yes. Yes. And Varys is now, he's he's not squirming, but he knows where this is going. Yeah, totally. And he, he in fairness to Varys, he has always said... In every conversation with everybody trying to play this game, that his loyalties lay with the realm. To the realm, exactly. And it is what it is. Like, I will do whatever I have to do to keep 
my people safe because I was there. I was in those gutters. I lived that life. I was a slave. I was used, I was mutilated and used for like blood magic or black magic and creepy magic. Creepy magic. Totally. And, you know, again, Tyrion kind of like steps in and he goes, well, Varys has proved himself as a loyal servant. She's like, how can you call someone jumping from king to queen to king to queen loyal? Right. And she's like, who hired the assassins? And if the first question wasn't, uh, you know, intense enough, this one is really intense because Varys is the one who is arranging for all of the assassination attempts and everything like that. Right. Well, also probably sending word to uh, her, her protectors to get her out of harm's way. So he kind of admits to it here. He, she's like, who sent word? Um, she like, he, he's silent. He doesn't answer who asked answer who hired the assassins. So she starts walking closer to him and she's like, who sent word to Essos to murder Daenerys Targaryen? And he's, he admits it. He says, I did. He says, your grace, I did what I had, what had to be done to, and she cuts him off to keep yourself alive. And that's when Tyrion steps in again to back various, but it's just amazing. Like you said, how honest they're being with each other. Like he outright admits I was the one basically setting up your assassination and I, I just did what I had to do. And she, she calls him out when, you know, like, how is this loyal? Like what kind of cert, like what kind of servant does that? And he goes that the kind the realm needs. Right. I was there. I lived in the alleys. I lived in the gutters. I lived in the abandoned houses. I was mutilated. I was used for crazy magic. Um, you know, I'm not going to, Give you blind Follow allegiance. Follow you with blind allegiance. Love um, that. If you want that, I respect it. You can behead me or devour me with, you know, have your dragons devour me. <laughs> but I choose you because I think you're the best option for the people. I think you truly have that. Yeah. And, she, and he's like, and if you let me serve you, I'll serve you well. I'll dedicate myself to seeing you on the Iron Throne. Right, because the people have no better chance than you. I thought that was a fucking legendary monologue by Varys here. Epic. Yeah. So good. I love Danny's sentiment here because she she sees where Varys is coming from. Yep. I really think she, in a weird way, believes him at this point. So she asks him, she's like, instead of you know, going behind my back and trying to overthrow me, like, please come to me and tell me how I'm failing the people swear it to me. I oh need God. to know. Yeah. Like I thought that her response here was equally as legendary as his initial monologue saying, listen, totally uh, my, my loyalties with the people. I'm not going to swear blind devotion to some leader because, because their I don't change, think she wants to be blindly followed. Right. She respects I think that. she her, wants real people to follow her because they want to, because they choose to. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I thought that this was the perfect thing kind of to say. Um, I mean, it's super risky, but this uh, honesty pays off in this, in this instance, because these are all the same goals that Danny has. Her allegiance is to the people. She's making the tough decisions that she needs to for the betterment of her people. Marrying his dar, for instance, to, for, to forge peace in Marine with an alliance. Um, leaving Dario behind because she's going to need to forge a new alliance and that would complicate things too much. She's doing things that aren't necessarily in her best interest for the interest of the people. And I think this is something that Varys respects because it's something that he's done. 
putting himself on the line to do what's to do what's right um, from as he sees it for the for the better of the realm. So I theoretically, if they're both being completely honest, this is a good match. And um, as long as Ferris just does what she says and does not go behind his back and is willing to speak with her in person, if she gets like crazy, like her dad or some shit like that, then I think it could be a really good relationship. I think I want to be an optimist in the situation that Varys would go to her. Yeah. I think he believes that she, while she has wild tendencies, that she can control them. Right. And this is like Chekhov's gun. Like this scenario has been mentioned. The idea that Varys could either decide to go to her or work behind her back and conspire. So inevitably this season, we're going to see this come up and Varys is going to have to make a choice. And that's going to be a very telling moment when he chooses to either confront Danny about a disagreement or work behind her back in secret. So we'll just have to I wait and see what happens. see who Varys would choose to overthrow Danny. Right. Like who would he conspire to overthrow her for? It sure as hell not Cersei. And I mean, I would say the only couple options would be like Jon Snow and maybe Jamie. Or maybe. Or himself. Jamie. Or himself. Although, I don't. He could have tried that could before, you, though. Could you see Varys sitting on the Iron Throne? I could see him pulling the strings from behind the Iron Throne, kind of. Yeah. Me too. I don't ever think he would sit it, but I think he wants to get as close to puppeteering as possible. Yeah. But I don't, I just, I have this gut and I know Sir, Sir Patrick's probably like, no, don't have this gut, but I don't <laughs> think Ferris is going to betray Danny. Yeah. I really don't. I hope not. I hope not. If anyone betrays Danny, I think it's going to be Tyrion. Oh, I know. I'm so nervous about that. That whole thing, like meeting with Cersei and us not seeing the conversation. I know. And then that reaction when he sees Jon go into her cabin on the ship. I'm really nervous about Tyrion. I don't want, I don't like that feeling either because <laughs> I, I like feeling like Tyrion is my rock. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that we totally. can rely on Tyrion, <laughs> you know? I know. You can rely on Tyrion for wit and comedic effect and, and being grounded and grounded and, and like just yeah. being the good guy. So if I had to choose between Varys and Tyrion betraying Danny in season eight, I'm going with Tyrion. Oh man. If it happens. Damn. I don't want to say it, but I just, I don't know. I uh, think he has alter uh, ulterior motives. Like uh, marrying her. Yeah. That, yeah. He may have screwed himself over in that aspect too, by, by advising, by, by vouching for John later on, as we'll talk about and advising her to meet with him. He basically, um, friend zoned himself there. <laughs> Shot himself in the foot with that one. Yeah. I mean, the strategic value was too hard to like too impossible to, to deny. So he kind of had to do it, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So Varys swears to her. I swear it, my queen. Yes. Um, and then she goes, and I swear this, if you ever betray me, I'll burn you alive. And his reaction's priceless. He sort of just smiles like, and, he, and says, I'd expect no less from the mother of dragons. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. So good. I love it. Super good. Such a great interaction. Varys, uh, just, oh man, like, like I said, the anticipation leading up to this moment as she's sort of viewed the spider as this evil 
puppet master, you know, her whole life, basically she's heard horrible legends about this spider and uh, they finally meet and, oh, she's drawn into his web. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Or him into her web. I don't even, I don't know. <laughs> One or the other. We'll find out. Definitely. Totally. <laughs> so uh, that's it for my number five. Uh, how about your number five? Oh, actually, sorry. So in response, Danny just gives him a slight nod like, that's right, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so Y'all know good. who's the boss here. Yeah. And I think Varys is like, honestly, like truly astounded by her, by yeah. her demeanor and by her presence and her grace and her, her logic and empathy and motives and loyalties. And, 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 and being so like in tune with herself, like she knows she has these tendencies. So she chose Tyrion as her hand to kind yep, of keep her level her. head. And she knows Varys is, can be flippant with who he supports at the time, <laughs> but her motives, she knows why she wants to be queen and Varys is loyal to the realm. So she's asking him like, I need you to keep me in check to make sure that what I'm doing yeah. truly is right for the people. It may look right to me, but it may not be good for the people. And I need you to tell me that so we can change it. So I think she values him after this conversation because he was honest with her. Yeah. He told her everything. He maybe didn't answer every question, but he did tell her pretty much everything. And I mean, you can't deny his value, his spy network, his capabilities. No. He's a he's That's an asset. what I was thinking. He's yeah. a total asset. Like too. if you can keep him alive and on your side, he's a he's a real you know, a force to be reckoned with for sure. You have a vast network of spies that span the entire planet. Like, why would you not want him on your side? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's it for my number five. Um, what about your number five? So my number five is actually, we're still at Dragonstone and we're at the painted table with, oh, cool. um, all of the amazing women of Westeros talking strategy which ah, nice i loved this because i know we've talked about in previous episodes that women are kind of taking over the great houses the way that they're you know generally treated in the show is pretty terrible but here we are in season seven and we have elena martell or not elena martell <laughs> uh, close oh my god martell elena tyrell, tyrell. Bran, Bron, Pycelle, Martell, Tyrell. <laughs> it's one of the tells, okay? <laughs> so we have Lady Elena, we have the Martells there, and we have Yara Greyjoy and Daenerys Targaryen all sitting at a war table discussing war. The We have never seen this in this show. Yeah, it's all nuts. All of these types of scenes have been with men only minus one with, um, oh my God, why am I blanking on her name? Talessa. Oh, Talessa, When she talks right. about wet shits. <laughs> and then Sansa with John. 
Yeah, and these bitches are crazy too. Yara and Ilaria, they're like fucking hardcore. Ilaria's like, I don't care if thousands of people die. (laughs) I was like, God damn. It's war. Like, go hide if you don't want to deal with it. Like, Jesus. Yeah, so... I love, I just love that the women are represented here. And I think that's what makes the scene extra special is there's a new dynamic. The women right, are right, the ones right. talking and the men are the ones giving suggestions. And mm-hmm. I just loved that juxtaposition. Yeah. It's in, pretty in a interesting. Show like this. It's a uh, reminder of wonder woman. They did the same thing with that, where they switched the traditional gender roles and the, 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 like a damsel in distress was, was played by Chris Pine, who was constantly being saved by wonder woman, et cetera. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's pretty funny. So see, yeah, the same thing's happening here as, uh, these traditional roles are being flipped upside down. Yeah. So Alaria kind of gets sassy and Tyrion shuts her down because he's, he's genuinely pissed off. He's like, we don't poison little girls here. Marcella was innocent. Yeah, she was a Lannister raw wound, man. He's the one because also like he's the one that sent Marcella to Dorne in the first place. Remember? So he got yeah, so he, he feels guilt feels about guilty. that. And uh, he's like, fuck, like you fucked me, basically. Like you turned me into like a um, an accessory to a murder, essentially. Yeah. So it sucks. He, he yeah. Fuck her. Yeah. And I love that Danny stands up for Tyrion here. You know, that's enough. Yeah. To near Tyrion is hand of the queen. You will, you will treat, treat him, him with, with respect. respect. Fuck. Yeah. Damn right. And I was thinking to about Alaria, the bastard sand. I was like, you're fucking lucky to be here at all. Yeah. And you're like speaking way out of turn here. Jesus. Yeah. It's crazy. So, um, we get Danny repeating Tyrion. I am not here to be queen of the ashes. Yes. And he looks like so proud. So proud. Looks over at her and like, he's like, oh, she's quoting me. Like, that's so cool. I know. Cause he's always trying to like turn his words into wisdom. Like yeah. a wise man once said. Yeah. Yeah. And he's actually having an influence, you know? <laughs> so now she's actually using his wise words, which yeah, is great. Totally. So good. So then we get Lady Olena. Yeah, all of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah, she just like boom pops out of nowhere. I'm like, damn, Elena's here. Yeah, I know. Oh my god, I love Elena. Yeah, she's the best, man. She has one of my favorite lines in the whole show in this scene. What be a dragon? Yes, nice. That's my number three. Is the scene between those two? Okay, I mean, just apply that to your everyday life. <laughs> be a dragon. Are you a sheep? No, you're a dragon. Yeah. Be a dragon. Like, how inspiring is that to read on your wall every morning? Like, I'm going to go fuck some shit up today. Fire and blood, bitches. Fire and blood. I don't know what Bruce Lee would think about that. He, he says, be water. You know. Be water, yeah, yes. Crash, Fluid flow, and- fill the shape of your environment, adapt, overcome, dissolve, destroy. It's like Float, yin and yang. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Maybe be a little of both. Yeah, a little bit of a couple of the elements, water and fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So we, she's still in black, I noted. So she's still in mourning. Who? Oh, Elena. Elena. Yeah, she's going to yeah. be wearing black forever, man. That's Yeah, yeah. so From she's in black out. still. You know, I can't remember a queen who was better loved than my granddaughter. Um, everyone loved her common people, the nobles and what's left of her now. 
Ashes. Ashes. Oh, God. And I, I loved this line, too. It's like, they're all kind of just children. Like, yeah. <laughs> they won't obey you unless they fear you. And this sounds just like Tywin Lannister talking about his father, Titus, I think it is. Um, he, he got, Tywin ended up getting super hard as a leader because his dad basically was super soft. And his bannermen began walking all over him, including houses Rain and Tarbeck, right? So Tywin basically stepped up and eliminated them and um, overcompensated for his father's softness, you could say. Yeah. So so uh, I what, what Danny needs to do basically is not quite go overcompensate quite as much as, as Tywin, but she needs to be like right in the middle. She needs to be not Tytos, not Tywin. She needs to be Tyrion, you know, so it's good that Tyrion is there to advise her. Yes, he's definitely. not he's too, too hot, too cold. He's just right. <laughs> you know, just right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Danny goes, I'm grateful to you, Lady Olena, for your counsel. I'm grateful to all of you, but you have chosen to follow me. I will not attack King's Landing. And then she looks over at Yara. We will not attack King's Landing because yep. that's what Yara wants to do. She wants to just go in like guns blazing. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, how do you mean to take it then? Asking nicely. <laughs> Great line. Olena, man, you can always count on her to say something super hilarious and witty. Yeah. And I love that we get finally get to see like Tyrion, um, some of Tyrion's battle strategy. Yeah. Strategic here. mode. Um, I love that Tyrion knows his sister and knows that she's going to use terrible propaganda against Danny. Like she's like. Her father, she's has savages at her back. She's using a eunuch army. They're foreigners. They're, they've come to invade our country. And he's proven right in this episode. <laughs> I know. I know. We get Cersei's propaganda. I yep. almost put that in my top five. <laughs> um, you know, so he basically, call, you know, calls it out like we cannot attack King's Landing with the Dothraki or the Unsullied. Yeah. Or, or really the dragons, because Danny, while she was born in in Westeros, she was there for like a day. Right. It would really come across as an invasion and you can't have that. It's got to be like somebody is is here to help somebody we need from to show, home. We need to show that the Westerosi Lord, like the Lord and ladies of Westeros are backing Danny and fighting for her. Right. Yeah. So our army has to be Westerosi. Hilaria's pissed. So she's like, so we're providing the armies. Yeah. He's like, yep, that's right, bitch. That's right. Um, and we get that the Greyjoys are going to escort Hilaria back to Sunspear and escort the Dornish army up to King's Landing. Yep, using the Iron Fleet. Yep, using the Iron Fleet. Bam. And then the Dornish are going to lay seed lay siege next to the Tyrell army, two great kingdoms united against Cersei. I love that. It's not like King's landing. It's against Cersei, Cersei. specifically. Right. Yeah. Cause they don't have any beef with the city or the, the, the kingdoms or anything like that. It's just Cersei. Yeah. So Elena with her game of words, she's like, so why did you bother bringing your own armies? If you're just planning to use ours. And then I love how 
proud Tyrion is here because this really shows what a smart guy he is with his strategy. Mm. You know, for a long time now, we all know that the Lannisters have really been the true power in Westeros. Yeah, And totally. the seat of that power is not King's Landing. It's Casterly Rock. Yep. So the Unsullied are going to sail to the rock and take it. Oh, man. So I had a question. The Dothraki are not mentioned in this in this strategy. So I'm wondering if are they staying at Dragonstone or do you think they're going somewhere? Um, I don't, don't remember. Get, they don't get like sent away. I, do we don't see we them. We see them, I think, go for the loot train, right? Yeah, but that's after that's after they take Casterly Rock and this whole plan unfolds. So they must be just on ice for now, just chilling. Just chilling. Yeah, because, I mean, I was surprised that he didn't send the Unsullied and the Dothraki to Casterly Rock. Right. I guess he doesn't even want to take his own castle with um, with a foreign army yet <laughs> until they're... That's true. Until the people are acclimated to Danny and know that she does have Westeros backing her but as they're, well. But they're going at it with the Unsullied. They're a foreign army. Oh, you know? right, right, right. Good call. Yes. They're, they're less like abrasive though. You know, like they wear armor. They're not and, savages. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like, I hate using that word, but they're less of an acquired taste. Yeah. They're not so say. raw. They're just, they're a disciplined army versus what Jamie always calls them. They just like kill for sport. Yeah, as opposed to the screamers. The scream is, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I thought this was interesting. Tyrion proposes taking Casterly Rock and like, yeah, stealing the tyrant queen's ancestral home right out from under her would be hilarious um, and would say a lot. But it, it, it could also come aco- across as a bit self-serving that he wants to go and take Casterly Rock, you know. So he I wants was, to sit there eventually. Yeah. So I was hoping that it wouldn't be mis- like interpreted the wrong way and that like his intentions taken wrong. Yeah. It, but it, I mean, it's true because if they overthrow King's landing and somehow the Lannisters escape, they're going to go back home. Right. So they really displace them if they can't go home. Totally. So then they would be on the run and easy to find. I mean, that that's how I personally took it, but I can see where you're coming from. It's a little bit, it could be viewed as selfish. Right. Right. So he knocks over Casterly Rock. Yeah, the, locks over the lion with the unsullied figure. Yeah. So cool. So Danny's like, so do you like our plan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I have your support? You have mine. Says Yara. Yeah, she's in. And Alaria's down. And Elena just nods her head in agreement. Yep. And she's like, great. Thanks, everybody. Um, Elena? Can I speak with you alone? Yeah. And that's my number three. Okay. Why don't you take it away? Um, Okay. So it cuts to the painted table again, and it's just Danny and Elena alone hanging out. And Danny has a pretty interesting point here. She's like, listen, I realize that you're here not for love of me, but out of pure unadulterated hatred for Cersei, just blind rage against Cersei. But she's like, I want you to know, though, that I'm going to make her pay for what she did. I swear to you. And we're going to bring peace back to Westeros. Right. So I thought that was kind of cool because 
after this scene, basically, I don't think they see each other really again, as far as we know. Elena's dead, right? She gets no, killed at Highgarden. I don't think they see each other again. So at least I liked that Danny tells her, like, we're going to get Cersei for everything that she's done. Um, hopefully she died feeling comforted, comforted knowing that Danny was going to finish the job. Um, fuck some shit hopefully, up. hopefully she does finish the job. I mean, I'm speaking kind of um, in advance. <laughs> Um, I hope so too. Yeah. So Elena's like, <laughs> peace. You think that's what we've ha- ever had with like, even under your father or, or his peace never lasts, my dear. And it reminded me of this Tupac song. It could never be peace. It's pretty cool. So, nice. so Elena goes on and she's talking about how Danny's hand, Tyrion is a clever man. And how she's known all these clever men throughout her life, but she's outlived them all. You know how? By ignoring them. She's, I love that yeah, so, it's so much. Yeah, so funny. Talking about like more women, women's empowerment. And uh, she's like, the lords of Westeros, they're all sheep. Are you a sheep? And Danny is looking at her and she's Ugh. like, and she's like, no, you're a dragon. Be a dragon. And there's I love this. There's all these identity crises within this show. There's Reek, you know, Theon. Who is he? Is he Reek? Is he Theon? Is he a Stark? Is he a Greyjoy? There's Arya. Is she Arya Stark? Is she no one? Who is she? Where's what's her place? There's John. Is he a bastard? Is he a Stark? Is he a king? Is he a, a, a you know a nobody? Does he have a destiny? And now Danny as well. Is she like her father? What kind of dragon is she gonna be? How does she come into her own and realize her heritage? Um, it's just, you know, a theme that's woven all throughout this show is the various forms of identity crises that these characters are having and how they're coping with them and evolving and solidifying their their senses of self. It's just fun to watch. Well, I loved, the, I loved this line from Elena because she says, are you a sheep? And... Last episode, Arya, when she kills the phrase, or yeah, when she kills the phrase last oh, episode, yes. she says, leave one wolf alive. And the sheep, the sheep are, are, never, are safe. never safe. Yeah. And now cue this episode. We get, you're not a sheep, you're a dragon. Go be a dragon. So we have that parallel of ice and fire here again. Yes. With Danny and John, or, you know, with the Stark Targaryen stuff totally totally love it and man i just have to say in this whole scene at dragonstone in this episode i think um in my opinion this is the most beautiful that danny has looked throughout the entire series yes and we're again with her braids it's like this like spiral shape her braid is like like the the double helix in the front yep yeah it's really awesome so cool yeah so she's just looking amazing and just very striking um, yeah, that's it. So that wraps up my number three as well. So we've done my okay. number five, your number five, my number three. Um, and my number three. <laughs> your number three as well. So your number four. What's um, your number four? Let's, let's go to your number four since we just did my oh, number three. Okay. okay. My number four is Samuel saves Jorah. Oh. Basically he flays him, but. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah, this is my number two, actually, also. I called it oh, Sam and Jorah. Not today. 
What not do we say today. to the God of death, right? Because <laughs> he's like, yes. Jorah Mormont, you are not going to die tonight. I just wrote, Jorah gets flayed by Sam. <laughs> kind of, Beautiful. not really, but... Um, totally does. It looks like it. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Oh, I forgot how intense that scene Ooh. is. Oh, God. Jorah's I just got the acting. chills. Mm. Yeah. So um, we cut over to the quarantine rooms over at the Citadel and Archmaester Marwin, Sam and Jorah. Oh, I, l- s- I learned that since we covered it last week and we were, we were going by these scripts that we're using, this is not Arch- Archmaester Marwin. These scripts are wrong. It's Archmaester Ebros. Oh, yeah, okay. And I had forgotten this. This is something that I had encountered the first time watching this as well. The internet was calling him... Archmaester Marwin, but then IMDB was calling him Ebros. Okay, so Archmaester Ebros. So they're basically looking at Jorah. Ebros tells him that the infection has to spread way too far. Basically, you should have cut your arm off like when it first happened, which I thought was interesting. Right. (laughs) It's like, maybe he should (laughs) have. Yeah, it'd be like Walking Dead style. You get bit, you got to cut your arm off like immediately. You saw your own arm off. Oh, my God. So Jorah asks, you know, how long? And Ebros is like, well, it could be years before it kills you. 10, 20, hard to say. Right. Uh, But Jorah is not worried about that. He's worried about his mind. And Ebros is like, well, that's probably like six months, maybe fewer. Worst bedside manner ever. This guy is such a dick. Well, it's just so scientific. Right. It's almost like Kyburn, you know, like it, they just look at it from such an objective viewpoint. It's just part of life. And he has no relationship with Jorah, you right. know, so it, it doesn't, he's just very sterile. Super <laughs> sterile. So Jorah... He's like, damn. He's like, fuck. And Sam's like, um, excuse me, pardon, Arch- Arch- Archmaester. <laughs> I met Stannis Baratheon's daughter at Castle Black. She had the grayscale as a baby and was cured. Isn't there some way? Right. And Marwin's like, does Ebros this look like, like a baby? Oh, yeah, Mar- Ebros, yeah, he's like, does this look like a baby to you? Um... No. Yeah, it's like last episode where he's like, are you a maester? <laughs> no. Then you're not allowed in there. That's simple as that. Have you studied the varying rates of grayscale progression in infants to fully grown men? Uh, well, no. <laughs> not exactly. And Ebros knows about the whole scenario because he brings up Maester Crescent by name. And he's like, Crescent discovered Shireen Baratheon's affliction immediately. This, on the other hand, uh, is quite advanced and beyond our skills, son. And I was like, oh, damn, it's not beyond Sam's skills, though. And because he, you know, he beats it. He he cures Jorah. And Just I was by like, reading the book and yeah. following the directions. Right. And I was like, damn, this bodes well for his capabilities in the future, overcoming seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Of course, Book book readers would say the way that Sam cures the grayscale is total bullshit. (laughs) Like there's an infection going on inside of your, you know, like your brain and stuff happening too. So just cutting off the outer layer of skin, like (laughs) doesn't seem like it's going to do a lot. Seems like, um, like a shortcut for the TV show. I bet we'll get more of an explanation in the books. 
Yeah, just like sawing it off and then putting like an ointment over yeah, it. Yeah, a poultice. <laughs> yeah. Seems a little easy, right? Like they could have just done that to Too everybody. Too easy. Yeah. yeah. So it's probably some type of shortcut and we'll, uh, I bet it'll be more intricate and intense in the books. I would imagine so, for yeah. sure. This is one of the things in the show that they've like changed from the books too. Like the whole grayscale Jorah plot line. Yeah, like Jorah does not have grayscale in the books. Oh. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Okay. Somebody else does. Someone else does. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask. I'm not going to ask who, but. It's, yeah, you yeah. would, yeah. Cool. So where are we? Oh, basically, Ebros tells Jora, if you were a commoner, I would just have you shipped to Valyria yeah. to live out your days with the Stonemen. But as an anointed knight, and that totally catches Sam's attention. Yeah, he's like, oh, an anointed knight. Who is this guy? I'll allow you one more day. And he looks over at Jora's sword, tellingly, like hinting like you're going to want to use that sword. Right. And then says... How you choose to spend that time is up to you. Yeah, and like, Jorah's <laughs> like, I gotcha. We're on the same page. Yeah, I eat, kill yourself, bro. <laughs> yeah. And so Ebros, you know, that's the last thing that he's going to say to him. And come on, Samuel, hurry yep. along. <laughs> and Sam lingers for a minute. And yeah. I think maybe because he's an anointed knight that he feels maybe like we could get some last words to your family to let them know. Yeah. And, he's like doing you know, like the bedside manner thing that Ebros is no good at. He's like not doing, yeah, he's like, you know, you want us to contact your family or something like, <laughs> you know, he's expressing trying to be empathy. Like, yeah. And so he goes, send word to your family, sir, Jora, Jora Mormont. And it's like, Mormont? Right. Oh my God. I, like what? Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, Sam knows knew his dad. Like this is crazy. Yeah. What are the odds? And he goes, There's just not a need. I've been dead to them for years. Yeah. And Sam kind of is looking at him just astonished. And then we hear Ebros in the background going, Come on, Sam. Yeah, Let's and he go. shuffles out. Um yeah. I, that was interesting though. The, the I've I've been dead to them for years. You know, I thought that it made me slightly nervous for a reunion with his family and meeting Liana Mormont for the mm -hmm. first time, probably. Yeah. Because oh he's gonna I be up there fighting. Yeah, he's with the East Watch seven and whatnot, right? So so next, Samwell and Ebros are walking through the library and Sam is carrying a stack of books. And hilariously, all throughout this scene, Ebros is adding more and more books and making Sam ex exceedingly more and more uncomfortable with the load that he's got to carry, which is hilarious. <laughs> he can barely see over him. Yeah. So Ebros is waxing about the styles of these different writers and he's, he's talking about this guy, Fauthan. And how he was a terrible writer, but an excellent re researcher. So he has all the information, but no flair in the writing. So it's just dry and brutal to read. And then he's talking about Maester Fowl, who was the opposite, who's a brilliant stylist, who makes really interesting prose and is really in, in enjoying to read. But how his the histories that he's telling are basically all bullshit. He's like just written most of it himself and it's not historically accurate. And so uh, he's like, if you're if you're going to write, you got to do the research. But but you have, if you want people to read it, you also need to add a bit of style. You know, he's like, I'm not writing my book, The Chronicles of the Wars Following the Death of King Robert the First, so it can sit on a shelf unread. 
And Sam's like, what? Sam's like, ah. What? <laughs> and he's like, what? You don't like the title? What would you call it? Could it could be a little po- more poetic. Yeah. And I thought this was cool because um, it's either hinting that Ebros is writing a song of ice and fire and needs some inspiration to make it a little more catchy. Or it could be hinting that Samuel Tarley potentially, after this is all done, writes a song of ice and fire. Because he knows the history, oh he my knows God. the players, you know, he knows all the people central to the oh, story. Oh, that's so crazy. I love yeah, that. He's got the flair. And like, think about how poetic a song of ice and fire I is. I never even thought about that. Yeah. Holy and, fuck. And that's a description of the chronicling of the wars following the death of King Robert the first. That's the song of ice and fire, right? So it's all basically beginning with Robert's death in season one. And the whole story is following the wars and everything that unfold after that. So maybe Sam like finishes what this guy started or something and writes this chronicling himself and gives it the poetic title of a song of ice and fire. It's a, a fan theory that was going around when this aired originally. I like it. Yeah, it's really cool. So he's oh, like, man. he's like, we're not poets, Tarly. And this reminded me of of John Snow up at the wall when Sam's asking him about sex, and he's like, I don't know. For for a couple of minutes, you you're more than just yourself. You, I don't I don't know. I'm not a bleeding poet. <laughs> for a little while, you're more than just you. You. Well, I don't know. I'm not a bleeding poet. No, you're really not. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is fun. And um, so this is when Samuel brings up the book that he read and the potential grayscale cure. And he wants to ask Archmaester Ebros about it. So he's like, if I could just have a moment, Archmaester. (laughs) This is your moment. Make it happen. (laughs) And he's like, I may have found a cure. Like there's two recorded cases of advanced grayscale actually being remedied. And uh, in this book called The Study of Rare Diseases by Archmaester Pylos, uh, he has a procedure that he recommends. And Ebros is like, <laughs> it's like, you want to know how that motherfucker died? Grayscale, bitch. Good luck. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hilariously. And Sam's like, ooh, like kind of Damn. deflated <laughs> by that. And uh, he adds another book to the stack. And uh, it tells him that the procedure is far too dangerous anyway, which is why it's now forbidden. Do you think this is um, information that he got from the books from the secret area? Did he almost just slip up Maybe. by, by mentioning it? It's possible. Quite possible. But wouldn't Ebros know that that book was in the locked area? Yeah, so he may he, have like, risked calls... a lot by mentioning it. Mm. If that's the case. I mean, we don't know, right? So... That's true. Yeah. That's a good point, though. Maybe yeah, not, possible. though. Why would that book be locked away? Only because the procedures are forbidden. But then again, the maybe procedure there's other may be procedures forbidden, forbidden. that aren't forbidden in that book. Yeah, exactly. It could be like it's just this one that's forbidden that we know of. Yeah, and the procedure could be forbidden, but not the knowledge itself. Also, true. So. Next, it cuts to the actual operation itself. Your number. Right. You want to talk about it? Sure. Awesome. So now we are back in the quarantine rooms and we get Jorah writing a letter to Danny. And I failed Khaleesi. (laughs) I failed Khaleesi. I'm going to kill myself tonight. Oh, man. It'll always be with you. And we hear this kind of like noise coming from the hallway and it sounds like rolling and squeaking. (laughs) 
And Samwell opens the door and rolls in a cart filled with all this like medical shit. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Tor's like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? And Samwell's like, dude, you're Jorah Mormont. You're the only son of Jorah Mormont. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Is he the only son? Mm hmm. Okay, I'm not aware of Jior having other sons. So he picks up a roll of leather, leather and he sets it on the table and he unrolls this assortment of like scalpels and knives. And I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> he's going to do it. He's yeah, gonna going to freaking cure Jorah. And he continues, he goes, my name is Samuel Tarly. I'm a sworn brother of the Night's Watch, training to serve as the maester of Castle Black. I knew your father... I was with him when he died. Was Sam with him when he died? Uh, Yeah, he was was in the room when he got stabbed in the back at the mutiny at Craster's Keep. Yep. He was? Oh, I totally totally. forgot about that. I highlighted that. I was like, I don't remember Sam being there, but I guess he was. Yeah, he was. You're not dying today, Sir Jorah. And I wanted him to say the Andal. Oh, yeah, right. Sir Jorah the Andal. Jorah the Andal. Yep, love that name. I fucking love that line because it made me think of like, what do we say to the god of death? Not today. Not today. Right? So Sam's like, yeah. you're not dying today, Sir Jorah. We're telling the oh. god of death, not today. <laughs> love it. Yeah. That's awesome. So cool. And then there's that time too when Sam is like trotting behind, he's lagging behind everybody in the snow when they're marching away from the defeat at the fist of the first men. And Jor Mormont is telling him, you are not dying today, Tarly, right? I forbid you from die, from, I forbid you from dying. I forbid you to die. Reminded me of that too, which is awesome. But yes, please continue. So then he picks up this like flask. He goes, drink it. (laughs) And it's we find out that it's rum and Sam Samwell goes, drink it all, please. I'm afraid this is going to hurt. And I was like, oh, damn, he's going to flay him. Totally. Yeah. So Sam's like, drink it all, please. I'm afraid it's going to hurt. And Jorah reaches oh, for God. the bottle and Sam's like, wait, just a second. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I need to take a swig to calm my nerves. Confidence too. <laughs> booster. Yeah. And Jorah just chugs, chugs that flask. He dances the flask. <laughs> Danza, did you say? Danza, like Tony Danza, show your flask who's the boss. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, I've never seen that. We used to play this drinking game in college called Danza, and it was like, show your drink who's the boss. Oh, shit. Yeah, Tony Danza. Tony. So, Tupac was Tony. a big Tony Danza fan, apparently. Yeah, he was. That's right. Huh. And so we see, I love, so Sam's like, if you can take off your shirt and we see that this, whatever this gray scale is, is like staining Jorah's shirt. Oh man, gross. in, yeah, when you can see it, like, or maybe it's either staining it, it looks like stains to me, or it's so dark underneath that light linen that you can see where the gray scale is. But I think it's like seeping something, which we get when he like digs into it too super gross oh god (laughs) so then samwell hands him a strap of leather and he goes i need you to bite down on this please because um no one knows i'm here if they hear you screaming we're both finished (laughs) yep yeah that was funny i love how sam is just like 
going off the fucking rails so many I know. It's times. so crazy. Like, he's such a, like, self-proclaimed, like, coward, but he always, like, rises to the occasion. He does all these ballsy things. Stealing the sword, Heartsbane. Um, I know. Killing like, the stealing White Walker. The books. Yeah, killing the White Walkers. Going into the forbidden room where the, only the maesters are allowed and, and stealing the information that he needs. Um, breaking in here, basically, and doing this for Jorah. He he's like one of the ballsiest characters in the whole story, honestly. Yeah, he has, you know, a lot of integrity and he knows what's right. And even though he may call himself a coward, he's going to do what's right in those situations. He's just not a fighter. Yeah. You know, like there's just because you're not a fighter doesn't mean that you're a coward. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. he's he's like fucking Kaiser Soze, man. He's like pretending he's got like a limp and a handicap, basically. <laughs> and then he's like the most badass dude around <laughs> when when the shit hits the fan. <laughs> he, totally. like the, he like the limp stops and he's just like running along. <laughs> yeah, it's great. For sure. So, um, so Jorah's like, have you ever done this before? And Sam's I love the way. That no, he, no one, no one else is going to try. So I'm the best you've got. Yeah. He like, he stops and turns to him and looks him in the eyes and he's like, no, I haven't tried this, but, <laughs> but <laughs> like, you're going to have to let me because nobody else is going to give it a shot, bro. I'm it. Yeah. And he gives him that thing to bite. Yeah. Like you said, and oh man, I forgot how rugged this scene is and just how visceral Jorah's whimpering and like guttural like uh exclamations really are like oh man sam goes into like the scientific you know i'm going to remove the entire layer of infected tissue then apply a medicinal ointment to the i don't want to know i don't want to know just like do what you got to do dude like let's (laughs) just get this shit over with (laughs) so funny and man i forgot how funny sam is in this scene like the first little nick of the scale and he and jorah's like and he's like shh keeps telling him to be quiet but he was like barely making any noise at all to start with sam it's a uh, it's like i i had forgotten how how visceral jorah is and how like comedically exaggerated and hilarious sam is as well like he's like slashing and hacking with this Please not just, well and then there's like one part where he gets like halfway through like his pec muscle and then oh, he kind of stops and looks at Jorah and then like starts like digging in yeah, it like, like really hard like and then like rips at it. the rest of it off. I was like, oh my God. Oh man. <sighs> and Jorah's face, he's just. He's like uh, shaking. Can't like, even the imagine way he's shaking. the pain. Really good acting. It reminded me of when Kyburn was picking all the infected tissue out of Jamie's stump. Oh, and he said, "I'll scream, I'll scream loudly." Yep. You know, so it's like yeah, a great total parallel scene to that. Great, good parallel. call. Wow, yeah, I I had forgotten about that, but they're very similar. But like Jamie was allowed to scream, so he screamed loudly. Whereas Jorah was told not to and had to endure it like really silently and just. Ugh, oh, oh it's so brutal. So good, man. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So that's my number four. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And that's um, my number two. And we got to mention at the end there, the, the brutal transition from Sam going into the scalpel to cut the grayscale to cutting quickly to a pot pie. <laughs> oh, that's so gross. <laughs> yep, one oh of the better God. transitions on the show for sure. And I love that they did that gross 
thing again, like with a scene from Sam because of his, um, Oh, the, the montage from last episode with all the poops and barf and yeah, exactly. It's like they had to just do it one more time. Yeah. Oh, that was gnarly. (laughs) Hilarious. Just rubbing it in our faces again. Yeah. Okay. So we've done year number three. Yep. So next is my number four. Your number four. Got it. Yep. My number four is Danny Melisandre and the Jon Snow revelation. Oh, with Varys? Yeah. Oh, up on that beautiful cliff? Um, yeah, like the front steps or something to... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where it is. That's right. So, Grey Worm comes in after the first discussion with Tyrion and Varys, and he's like, Forgive me, my queen. A red priestess from Ashai has come to see you. And I'm like, oh shit, I forgot totally that Melisandre comes to see Danny, right? When I first watched this, I thought that it might be the creepy high priestess Kinvara. that we met in Marine. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I was like, oh shit, is it Kinvara? Yeah, Kinvara, that's her name. That's right. But no, cuts to the, the front doors basically, and it's Melisandre standing there. And Danny walks out with Tyrion and Varys and Missandei and Grey Worm. And immediately Melisandre starts speaking to her in, in high Valyrian. And she introduces herself basically in the perfect way to gain Danny's sympathy while also making it clear that their causes are aligned, right? She's like, Queen Daenerys, I was a slave once, bought and sold, scourged and branded. It is an honor to meet the breaker of chains again with the branding. It drives me crazy. Cause I want to see where she's branded. Right. Yeah. It must've been her. Well, it's, it should be her face. I think um, we didn't see it when she's an old woman, but the wrinkles could have covered the scar or something. Maybe. Um, or maybe I'm thinking of tattoos, the face tattoos that the, vo- the volunteer slaves get. Yes. Yeah, I'm not sure where she'd be branded actually. So Danny's like, Oh, Nice to meet you. The Red Priests helped helped me bring peace to Marine. You are welcome here, Red Priestess. What is your name? And she's like, I am called Melisandre. And Varys immediately steps up. And he wastes no time fulfilling his new role as an advisor to Danny, basically. And he's like, she, he steps up. She once served another who wanted the Iron Throne. And looks at her, at Mel- Melisandre. It did not well, end well for Stannis Baratheon, did it? And Melisandre is like, like, no, nope. it didn't. And Danny is not pleased that Varys is uh, speaking out of turn, basically overplaying his new role. And she says, she says to Melisandre, she's like, she's like, you chose an auspicious day to arrive at Dragonstone and then turns and scowls at Varys. We've just decided to pardon those who served the wrong king. <laughs> and he like bows his head and he's like, okay, <laughs> point taken. I'll, you know, take <laughs> I a got step it. back. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty funny. And Danny's like, the Lord of Light doesn't have many, uh, many people in Westeros, does he? I mean, we know of Thoros, but we don't really know of anybody else outside of the Brotherhood Without Banners, right? Sure. So Mel's like, no, not yet. But even those who don't worship the Lord can serve his cause. And Danny's like, well, what what does he want from me, basically, right? What's What does the Lord of Light want with me? And, uh, well, she should already know because 
Tyrion would have debriefed her about the red priestesses in Volantis and every or in in Marine and everything, talking about how she's the chosen one and everything like that. So Melisandre says that, that she's outright. She comes right out with it. The long night is coming, and, and I'm like, damn, and it's getting serious. And she says, only the prince who is promised can bring the dawn. And Daenerys says out loud in English now, the prince who is promised will bring the dawn. Well, I'm afraid I'm not a prince. And this is that epic moment with Masande, right? You want to talk about it? Oh, yes. Yes. Your grace. <laughs> yeah. Forgive me, but your translation is not quite accurate. That noun has no gender in High Valyrian. So the proper translation for that prophecy would be the prince or princess who was promised will bring the dawn. Oh, and I was man. like, oh, my God. Revelation. When I first watched this, I was like, oh, my God. Of course, it's going to be a woman as we've talked. Like, look at that. Look at just the, the scene before or the scene later with all the women like surrounding the war table. It's right. coming. It's coming. Like. If Azora High shows up in this series, it's going to be a woman. Very it's going to be. It's there's possible. no other reason for this translation. Right. So there's the story of Azora High where he does all these things trying to temper his blade, Lightbringer, right? Forges it, spending a hundred days hammering, heating, hammering, and folding, and heating and hammering and folding, repeating over and over to, to forge this amazing blade and to temper it. He calls his wife, Nissa Nissa and asks her to bear her breast. And she does it. And he apologizes, but she she willingly allows him to sacrifice her to temper the, the legendary blade Lightbringer. And he thrusts it through her heart. And her cry of agony and ecstasy sends a crack through the face of the moon. And thus, the creation of Lightbringer has occurred. So, if we're looking for modern parallels... So it cracks the moon... Because doesn't one of Danny's girls, I forget her name, the one that has sex with Viserys Jiqui in the bathtub. or one of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it talks about the birth of the dragons, right? Dragons came yeah. from the moon. That the, the moon cracked and a thousand thousand dragons poured out of it. Yes, excellent point. That could be a coded connection to Danan, to Danny being Azora High. That yeah. the moon has cracked. And in in the, that moment, the birth of the dragons are being equated. If the dragons are coming out of the moon as it cracks and Lightbringer is forged as the moon is cracked as well, the birth of the dragons um, could be an allusion to or could could be the the forging of the modern Lightbringer. And if you want to take it to another level, there's the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine represented by the sun and the moon, the sun being the masculine, the moon being the feminine. Like Danny calling Drogo her sun and stars, and Drogo calling her moon of my life. So there is moon femininity symbolism with Danny already. So you've got the feminine moon symbol. You've got the metaphor of the moon being an egg hatching the dragons. And what do you know? Femininity and eggs are two symbols that are connected with each other. So this all makes perfect sense. And so that's exactly where I was going with this is that when Danny s- sacrifices Call Drogo, and smothers him um, in that moment, basically, in that, that in doing That's, that, she's yeah. rewarded with, with the, the birth of the dragons in that sacrifice oh, of damn. Drogo and herself. Oh so my God. That may oh my be God. the forging of Lightbringer, and Danny may be Azora High. If, I mean, that's one interpretation. 
I just had a thought. What if Danny is actually Azora High, but everyone misinterprets the prophecy and starts thinking that John is huh. once we find out that he's a Targaryen? And what if he ends up, what if Danny like willingly has him sacrifice her? But oh, she's but actually she's a Zorai. <laughs> and then oh, the, the, the White Walkers take over everything and like the Kill dragons everybody. shrivel into dust and ice and all is lost. The end. Thanks for listening, Ugh, guys. Damn. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, that'd be fun. So uh, so Danny's like, oh, uh, and Tyrion's like, oh, the, the prince or princess who was promised will bring the dawn. Doesn't really Doesn't roll really off the roll. tongue. <laughs> yeah. And Danny's like, no, but I like it better. <laughs> I just thought that was a hilarious line. And she turns back line. to, and, and in the background, you can see Miss Sunday. She has a little smirk on her face. Yeah. I think this because they also had that conversation back in, um, right where Danny first, met her. Yeah. When she first takes her under, under yeah, her like, wing. But we are not men. Yep. So. Vala Margulis. Yes, all men must die, but we are not men. And they've sort of had this like womanly connection between the two of them. And Masande totally reverses it here. The last time Danny said, but we are not men in response to Valor Margulis. It was kind of, it was a good thing, but here it's kind of a bad thing. The prince that was promised and she's like, oh, but I'm not a man. But then Masande drops this bombshell and it's great news again. Yes. Yeah, pretty awesome. I love it. Yeah, so uh, like you're saying, she turns back to Melisandre and uh, she's like, and do you believe this prophecy refers to me? And Mel Melly responds saying, well, prophecies are dangerous things. And this is the truth, man. She learned the truth of that recently enough as her, her misinterpretation of her prophecies played out horribly for someone that she really cared about, Stannis and his family and their host, right? So she knows that prophecies are super dangerous and We've seen other examples of this. Obviously, Cersei, with her self-fulfilling prophecies, showing us again how dangerous prophecies can be and how they can send rippling effects through reality and become self-fulfilling or play out in different ways than you'd expect. So Definitely. she says, instead of being full full um, bore, like she was with Stannis, like, you are the prince who was promised, you will forge Lightbringer, etc., she's, like, uh, she's like, well, I believe you have a role to play, as does another and she drops the bomb. The king John in the north. John Snow. John Snow. And Tyrion's ears perk up, you know, and he turns. John Snow? Ned Stark's, Stark's bastard? bastard? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Tyrion remembers John. Wear it like armor. You know, he first found him at during the feast at Winterfell and had that, that moment that where they connected where he tells John, you know, you're like, you're a bastard. Deal with it. Like, wear that like armor and no one can use it to hurt you. All dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes. Right. And he's like, I'm a dwarf and I just own it. And, and that's, uh, that's what I do. And nobody can use it to hurt me anymore. And like you said, yeah, all dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes. Um, he's like, cause John's like, what would you know about being a bastard? Right? <laughs> yeah. How could you possibly relate? And he's like, I'm a fucking dwarf, dude. Like, More than you know. Yeah. So, um, obviously Tyrion remembers John and Danny's like, you know him? And he's like, yes, yes, I traveled to the wall with, with Jon Snow when he joined the Night's Watch. And uh, and, he, and Varys is like, well, to, Mer- to Melisandre, he's like, well, why do you think the Lord of Light has singled out this, this Jon Snow? And um, interestingly, I'm thinking, well, as viewers, we saw that he was born at the Tower of Joy and will soon come to know that 
he and Danny are both significant figures because they're both Targaryens, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it it's it makes sense that they're both being singled out as being significant by the Lord of Light because they're both Targaryens. But this is interesting. Um John, as we know, is like the amalgamation of ice and fire as he's the culmination of the relationship between Lyanna Stark, ice, and Rhaegar Targaryen, fire, right? So John being raised by the Starks is sort of like the ice side of the equation. And Danny being raised with Viserys and being raised as a Targaryen is sort of the the fire side of the equation. So together, each of them are sort of raised under the auspices of each of one of the main houses of ice and fire, Stark and Targaryen. So I just thought it was kind of cool that together they're symbolically... Um, you know, very representative of that. Do you know who Danny's mom was? She a Targaryen as well, or I don't know anything about Danny's mom. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was a Targaryen as well. I believe. Okay. Um, Ares's sister, Rayella. Okay, and she died giving birth to Danny. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that she wasn't like something else, and we should read into it. So, in response to various asking why. The Lord of Light has singled out Jon Snow. Melisandre brings up some really interesting points. She says, As Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, he allowed the wildlings south of the wall to protect them from great danger. And to, to a lot of people, this could be a damning fact about Jon that he allowed wildlings south of the wall. But she knows her audience here. She like played this very well. She knows that Danny would respect this by, by viewing them as saving, people. Yeah, saving yeah. a group of people. Exactly. Whereas, like, if she had said this to the northern houses, he let the wildlings south of the wall, you know, they would have been like, fuck Jon Snow. Traitor! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, he's, he's, as Lord Commander, he allowed the wildlings south to save that race of people. Real good guy. As king in the north, he's also managed to unite those wildlings with the northern houses. So, together, they may face that common enemy riding from the north. He sounds wow. like quite a man. Yeah. So like, ju- yeah. yeah. Just Danny's type, type of guy, huh? Yes. And uh, I'm like, a royal alliance, you know? Melisandre goes on, summon Jon Snow. Let him stand before you and tell you the things that have happened to him, the things he has seen with his own eyes. And what a, what a powerful statement. She, she knows that Danny won't believe it coming from her. But think about yeah. it. The things that have happened to him, being killed being resurrected. Being killed, yes. The things that he has seen with his own eyes. The dead walking, the white walkers, you know, doing all this stuff. Um, the the madness. And so um, she's really telling, like, she's like, let, let him say what he's seen, right? And and I love this also. Tyrion steps up to vouch for John, And this statement is huge because we know that Danny Danny has really come to respect Tyrion. And he flips it on her here as well. He's like, he's like, I can't speak to prophecies or visions in the flames, but I like Jon Snow and I trusted him. And I'm an excellent judge of character, he says. <laughs> and he like, AKA, I judged you to be good too, Danny. You know, like I chose yeah. you just like Varys did. Um, and uh, <laughs> like, like I'm vouching for Jon Snow. So I thought that was really cool that even though they had spent you know, not a lot of time together. Tyrion here is is repping Jon Snow. He's on Team Snow. You know, he he likes him, and uh, 
recognized his wisdom and his morality and his honorable na- nature, even in such a short time. I agree. He's a he's a, a Stark, you know, like, well, he's really a Targaryen, but he was raised by the Starks. So they do. They are legendarily, legendarily uh, honorable, you know. <laughs> so Danny smiles in response to Tyrion's statement and Tyrion goes on and says, if he does rule the North, Jon Snow would make a valuable ally as well. And this is important because it immediately shows that Tyrion sees the strategic worth of connecting with Jon Snow as well as like that. He's a trustworthy person and would be a good friend. Um, It's also, yeah, like she has a foothold here in Dragonstone. Now she's got the South. She's got Dorne. She has high garden and the reach as far as she knows. Yeah. And having the North tying all these kingdoms together would be huge, like massive. So um, unfortunately this also, as I was mentioning earlier, puts himself Tyrion squarely in the friend zone <laughs> by suggesting <laughs> yeah. that she meets Jon Snow. <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. Um, it's like the record producer being like, oh, here, come meet the guitar player, you know, the, the talent, you know, <laughs> or whatever, the, the, the rock singer or something. So um, he goes on and says, the Lannisters executed his father and conspired to murder his brother. Jon Snow has even more reason to hate Cersei than you do. Like she's like, you know, a, a, a person who's been involved potentially in destroying House Stark, basically. So Jon Snow hates this bitch. Yes. And uh, she, Danny pauses for a moment and considers this and uh, realizes the truth to it and the wisdom as well. And she says, very well. Send a raven north. Tell Jon Snow that his queen invites him to come to Dragonstone. And she sort of pauses for a second. And this is where it gets intense. (laughs) And she drops the bomb and bend the knee. And I was like, oh, yeah, exactly. Snap. Oh, man. The king in the north is going to have to kneel. Fuck. Fuck. The most stubborn of all the people. Who, Jon Snow? No, the, the, just the Northerners in oh, general. Yeah. I mean, the only other time that a king in the North has knelt was also for another person with dragons, though, right? So there, there is yes. precedent for the king in the North kneeling to someone when they show up with three dragons. <laughs> I would. Hilariously, yeah. I don't want to be on the other end of those dragons. Right, and it was wise because, who is it, Garth Greenhand, who did not kneel, did not bend a knee, and... Uh, you know, is his house green hand still around at all? Like, <laughs> they doing their thing? Nope. No, it's roasted. Yeah, or maybe it was Gar- gardener, Chris. house gardener at the field of fire or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but yeah. So we learn that Danny is going to want John to submit to her authority, um, which is pretty intense. And wow, it's gonna, it's going to be fun to watch them meet again. And super ironic because she should be bending the knee to him. Yeah, technically. Yeah. And that's one of the things that the BU students uh, addressed also with their rendition of season eight that they came up with and uh, created on their own. They had her contemplating about this once they learned that Jon Snow is um, the son of Rhaegar. And that she she's sort of on her own thinking about how he would come in front of her in the succession. And she decides to offer that to him, basically. Um, oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> really interestingly. So, I mean, that's just the, the Boston University students yeah, interpretation. Yeah. But sure. yeah, it'll be I'm really excited to see what happens this season when the truth God. comes out 
and that whole dynamic comes into question, you know, and everything like it's up for grabs basically, you know, but Jon Snow in the BU version has says to her, like, at least at one point, he's like, I already knelt, you know, I made a vow to you and I'm going <laughs> to stand Stick by to it. it. Yeah, of course. I mean, he's a, he's, you know, he's a Stark. Yeah, he's well, a, he was not, raised a Stark. He's got Stark blood in his veins. <laughs> Honor. And in his heart. Yeah. So yeah, that's it for my number four. Nice. Danny Melisandra, the John Revelation. Crazy. Yeah, totally. So what are we on? Number twos now? I think we're on number my two? number two. What do you got? My number two is Nymeria. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a short scene, but it's one of my favorites of Arya and the way Macy Williams acts it. So we get a very short glimpse of Arya. Um, and I know we'll talk, probably talk about her meeting with Hot Pie here in a minute, but um, she has decided to go north back to Winterfell. And I know that that was a yep. question that we posed an episode or two ago, whether Arya knows that Jon is king in the north and she's going south anyways. And this episode clarifies that. Right. Because we discovered she was going south when she meets the Lannister soldiers with um, what's his face? Uh, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we knew she was going South and we were yeah kind of wondering about that, but we do find out here. Yeah. That she was unaware. She had no idea. Right. How crazy is that? And that she's basically changing her plans to go see John. She instantaneously, instantaneously, she does not even hesitate. She puts her food down like mid, mid bite basically and decides <laughs> I'm going to Winterfell. Yeah, it's it's really powerful when you think about how um, her motivation changes and like everything was leaning towards her going to kill. Um, Do you want to just talk Cersei. about that scene with hot pie? Um, sure. And then we can go into my number two, because my number two is so short. And this kind of like leads up to that. Yeah, too, why she's there. So um, we're back at the inn at the crossroads. Yeah, the famous inn at the crossroads. I mean, we see this. Do we see it in every season at some point? <laughs> good question. I'm not sure. Probably. I feel probably. like we do, That's a good but it's so jumbled together for me. I know we see it in season one. The I producers know. are like, we still have that in at the crossroads set. We got to figure out some way to work it into this season. Right. Exactly. So we're in, we're in the inn, and Aria walks in and I think she's kind of taking it all in because a lot happened at this inn for Aria back when lady was killed and oh there's God. memories here for sure yeah. joffrey being a cunt and um you <laughs> know no her, the state uh the um butcher's boy was killed there so lots of stuff for aria that happened at this inn at the crossroads oh yeah and <clears throat> so inside the inn we have two men and this is this is where they're cutting into that uh, chicken pot pie or whatever it is yep, right yep, after yep. Um, Sam and Jorah's <laughs> scene. Uh, so they're talking about Danny. They say her dragons are bigger than Aegon's. Horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> Cersei's just trying to frighten us. Yep. If she lays siege to King's Landing, prices will triple. I was wondering what do you think they're talking about? Oh, they're talking about probably just um, prices in general. Because if you're laying siege, you're cutting off trade to the city. Oh, so that means yeah, that there'd that have to be sense. selling um, items that are in stock. Instantaneously, supply drops and demand remains the same. So 
um, the prices the, get raised. Yeah, exactly. Got it. So, um, and people are broke already. So that, that would be real bad news. And, uh, it's just so tragic that all those supplies are destroyed at the loot train that may make Danny an enemy of the people of King's Landing. Um, oh, quite possibly. Yeah. So not going to be good. We're going to have to deal with the ramifications of that. Which may have, may or may not have been on purpose. Mm. Hard to tell. But I mean, if she wants to take over King's Landing and sit there, she would probably want supplies there come yeah. winter. So cue hot pie. Ari. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, this is phase three hot pie, right? We get hot pie yeah. season one, season two, and then he disappears for a while. We get him with Brandon Pod. Brian, and now yeah. back for phase three hot pie with Arya I reunited. like that they have a little reunion. Yeah, how cool is that, right? Season seven was great for reunions. But she's so cold to him. Like, hello, hot pie. She's acting really weird, too, in general. Like, almost like not like herself, kind of. I know Plus, people were speculating maybe it's the waif pretending to be Arya like this whole time, you know, that whole thing. But um, she recognizes Hot Pie. We know that the, the faceless man magically like you get their their face, their body, their their voice. But do you get their what memories? memories? Yeah, we, who knows? <laughs> Interesting. I think it's probably Arya, though, because she like Nymeria sniffs her out and everything. You know what I mean? And doesn't kill her. Yeah, right. It's an imposter. Imagine that. Oh, damn. Hot damn. We see Arya, like, get destroyed by Nymeria, and then we we learn that, like, Arya was really dead <laughs> Other, oh, al- also, like, otherwise, already, I mean. So, she's pretty, like, just kind of cold to him. Hello, hot yeah, pie, sit fuck, down. Right? Who, what's, who's that for? She grabs the pot pie from him and just starts, like, going to town on it. She's yeah, like, like oh, basically that's so just, good. like, stealing a pie. Like, who? what if that was somebody else's? You know? Oh, you think that pie is good? Well, the secret's browning the but- the butter first before yep. making the dough. Most people don't do that step. I love brown butter. Mm, Ooh, so good. Sounds good. Yeah, I'd love to try it. I cook with brown butter a lot. She's like, yeah, I didn't I didn't do that. You've been making pies? <laughs> <laughs> One or two. <laughs> Fray pies. Oh. Oh my god, I didn't even <laughs> even catch that oh that's so <laughs> yeah, funny she's talking about how she baked up black walder <laughs> and, and what's his face lothar i was wondering about that i was like when would she have made pies <laughs> <laughs> i'm so fucking stupid sometimes <laughs> that's oh hilarious it's great oh, we just got that like last episode too yeah yeah oh man i love that though it's such a funny reference and she doesn't explain it to hot pie because it's so fucked up you know he'd be like oh man she's a total nutcase <laughs> He's like, I can't believe you're here. Like, did you meet the big lady? She's like, what? The big lady? <laughs> the knight, the lady knight, because she had armor on. She was looking <laughs> for you and your sister. Referencing his conversation about armor from season one. Remember? Well, they, yeah. they were knights because they had armor. And Gendry's like, any fucking idiot any can buy armor. Any fool can wear armor. And he's like, yeah, how do you know? Because I made armor. It's old armor. <laughs> Classic. So I love that. Bringing up that reference from season one. Classic. And uh, Hot Pie tells her this, I think, pissed Arya off, too. I just realized this, this rewatch. He's like, uh, she was looking for your sister, but I told her about you. Did she ever find you? And Arya is like, she found me. Kind of pissed off because I think she gets mad here because Hot Pie's telling her that he told Brienne that Arya was alive. And then Brienne tracked down Arya 
and killed the hound, presumably. Yeah, resulted in the hound's death. And this, I think, gets her thinking about the hound and kind of pisses her off. And she like she starts getting a little cold with him here, like you mentioned. And so he's like, he's like, what happened to you, Ari? And Got she any ale? Yeah, she yeah, exactly. She's like in a trance because she now she's thinking about the hound. And then the first thing that she asks is, Got any ale? It's like very hound of her. Obviously, thinking about Brienne definitely made her start thinking about the hound. Made her twitch a bit. Yeah, and she she is like legitimately like missing the hound at this point. I feel like she came to grips with she had been lying to herself up until the point of the House of Black and White believing that she hated Sandor and telling the waif that and everything. She finally came to grips with the fact that she didn't hate Sandor. And here she's, she's like missing him. It seems like she's really like in a place where she first started to hate him. Yeah. Yeah. True. This This is is where he killed the the butcher's boy. Oh my God. Amazing. And now we're full circle again. Like remember last time we talked about, the phrase and how that was the place where the red wedding happened. And then in that same banquet room is where Arya killed all of the phrase and Walder here. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is where she began to hate Sandor, but now she's here at the same place and she like loves Sandor. Misses him. You know, yeah. Like, not romantically loves him, but she has no, love for I got him. It. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so interesting, another full circle type thing. She's like turned her turned around, obviously, in the hound, and she's upset thinking about it that he's dead. And and um, so she this is when Hot Pie asks her where she's heading and she says King's Landing. And she she isn't quite as direct with hot with Hot Pie as she was with those Lannister soldiers. He's like, why? And she just says, I heard Cersei's queen now. And all of us, we know she means she's going to kill Cersei because that's yeah. she, <laughs> obviously. But uh, Hot Pie's like, oh, I heard she blew up the sept. That must have been something Who to see. Who would do such a thing? Yeah. <laughs> Cersei would. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I can't believe somebody would do that. Well, Cersei I thought you'd would. be heading to Winterfell. Why the hell would I go there? I'm surprised you didn't say Winter Hell. Oh, Winter Hell. Oh, my God, that's so funny. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, she's like, why would I go there? The Boltons have it. Uh, the Boltons are all dead, girl. And she, like... Stops. What? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, what? Exactly. Totally. Oh, I love that part. John <laughs> Snow came down from Castle Black with a wildling army and won the Battle of the Bastards. He's king in the north now. Holy like that is fuck. the most weighted sentence on the, or like paragraph on the planet. And it says it so <laughs> casually. He's like so casual about it. And Arya's like no way. There's no way. <laughs> Came down like, from Castle Black. Think about that. That's like, uh, that has like almost like angelic references, like coming down from heaven. Came you know, down to from heaven to save the world. Won yeah. the battle of the bastards. He, and Hot like, Pie's like, why would I lie about that? He's your brother, right? Yeah. Like that'd be super like, fucked up for me to lie about. <laughs> she's like, thanks for the pie. I gotta go. I gotta roll, bitch. <laughs> oh and my God. And friends don't pay. I loved that. Yeah. Even so, though she was kind of being a, a dick to him, he's still like, like we're, friends, we're friends don't yeah. pay. Yeah. I thought that she was stealing that food basically when she grabbed it, but he didn't seem like he was in a rush. Like anybody had ordered it. He was, seems like he was just kind of walking around offering it to people. Sure. Um, but yeah, she does go to reach for money. I can't believe it. You th- I thought you were a boy. You're yeah, really pretty. Yeah. Oh, that's so She's funny, like, man. Thanks. She, she's like, thanks. At this point, as mad as she had been for um, Hot Pie indirectly being the result of Sandor's death, as far as she knows, Sandor's dead, you know, uh, he, she 
gets a little more cheery with him here with this new information that he gave her. Basically she's now yeah. happy. And she's like, she's like legitimately, she's like nice about it when she thanks him for saying that she's pretty right. And take care of yourself and try not to get killed. Yeah. I like that too. Uh, he's like, I love no, how I he says that I'm a survivor and I just, yeah. she's just like, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm leaving now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So think about this. We're, I was having a discussion with some people and we were wondering about what the, what Arya's reaction will be like when she's reunited with the Hound. Um, oh, man. How do, you, how do you think that'll be? Because that'll be interesting. The Hound's heading north. Um, he, he went north. He fought beyond the wall. He's going to be back at Winterfell I think Winterfell they'll go right back to being the way they were to each other. You think so? I think. I, I do. I was wondering, like, it could go a couple ways. Like Arya, I think it'd be really cool if she decided to like fuck with him and like show off how far she's come since meeting him and like show up and like fight him or something like with a different face on and then like rah, pull off her face in front of him and Ooh. reveal that it's Arya and the hound's like, oh my God, like I'm not worthy. Mind I'm not fuck. worthy. You know? Um, or I could see her like just like seeing him and just like rushing him and hugging him, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it, it's hard to imagine that, but like, I see them like looking at each other for a minute and Sandor saying one of his great little, like one liners, right, like, like, great, oh, you're fucking here bitch. again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What you're like- <laughs> and then Arya says something kind of witty in return. And right. then they maybe smile at each other and, yeah. It, Dumb bitch is too strong. To He'd be like, oh, there's the little shit or something. <laughs> little cunts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I'm excited to have those two back together. Me too. Me too. Yeah, really excited. So then we get um, Arya on her beautiful dappled gray oh, horse. Oh, my God. What a shot of her riding off and away, right? Mm-hmm. Under those trees. I love trees. that horse. He... She, that's the same horse in the first episode that she's riding um, when she meets up with Ed Sheeran. Oh. She rides it here. And then she's also riding it when she sees Winterfell Nymeria for the first too. time. She's like kind and of Nymeria. like or, yep. yeah, like get all, getting all spooked when Nymeria. So and I kind of like that they kept through. that same horse throughout yeah. because it's, um, Gorgeous it's pretty horse. unique. Yeah, very, looking. very unique looking. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, yeah, so and that she, shot of her she riding sees away those men going south to King's Landing because they're talking about getting back to King's Landing. Um, those were the men that we saw at the beginning of this scene. Mm-hmm. And then she looks back behind her. So we obviously know that back behind her is north and these men are going south. And she finally makes this the decision and turns her horse around and and heads heads north. Yes. Oh, so exciting. Damn. And then John's not there when she gets there, sadly. It's it's the thought of John that like really made her like think that Go, you know, she had a home again. Because they had such a special relationship. Um Little Sister. Yeah. Mess her hair up and <laughs> call her little sister. Yeah. Yeah. She constantly thinks about that in the books. And John does too. And so then we cut over to like my actual number two, which is um, Nymeria. Nice. And Arya, it's cold. It's clearly cold outside. She's rubbing her hands together. She's trying to get a fire going. And the horse starts to get extremely nervous. Oh, yeah. Moving around, Big dancing time. about, pawing the ground, ears flickering back and forth. Um, kind of like what you talked. It's whinnying. Yeah. It's getting like kind of grunting and whinnying and panic. 
I would say nickering is more like, oh, hey, I'm happy to see you. Okay, like so whinnying is more then. distress. Yeah, this is stressed. Or excitement. Yeah, it could be kind of both. Hmm. Um, and Arya starts looking around and she stands up and grabs a needle. Yeah, and, and we hear some like uh, some twigs snapping. Twigs snapping and we're getting kind of like camera angles that are a little bit difficult to see out into the woods and what's what's lurking in the distance and yeah oh damn and, and then so, the first wolf appears then the first wolf appears and yes it's a um i love that black wolf that they oh, got man all these that wolves are so cool super looking. cool they're so freaky looking and i yeah. was like oh my god like what is gonna happen here and then we hear this these paw steps behind her yeah, and this, and this like hulking. rumble of a growl. Yeah, and you can see like um, out of focus in the background what this like lurking wolf. shadow. Yeah. <laughs> Monstrous. She's fucking huge. Dude. She has to be the biggest one. Has to. Well, we'll see. Ghost when, isn't that Next time big. we see Ghost, I mean, it's been a while, right? That's true. And also, it Nymeria was standing Maisie on a little will, ridge, and, and Maisie, Maisie is, is so really tiny. Small. But so true. is John. John is like practically Maisie Williams' height, so <laughs> for all intents and purposes. And Arya, um, like looks at her and it's like Nymeria, and like the look of disbelief that washes over Maisie Williams' face is so Amazing. realistic. It's so oh my god! This is such a touching her. scene, like a very emotional scene. And so she sets Needle down because she doesn't want to, you know, spook her like, but she bends down. And I I thought that that was pretty bold. Yeah, true, true. But yeah, it makes sense that she did that because the last interaction they had, Arya was being violent towards Nymeria, yeah, throwing threw stones her at her. So, so Nymeria, it's me, Arya. Oh my god. Headed north, girl, back to Winterfell. And I'm finally going home. Finally going home. Oh Come my god. Come with me. And she stretches her hands out and, and I love the close up of Nymeria's face. It's like inquisitive. Yeah, she's like calmed she's down. She's no longer do. growling. She's like, yeah, thinking and taking it in. It's really interesting. I, she walks away, but I don't think she's ever far. You know what I mean? Like I, I think that from now on, the pack is in range. She's around. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like if shit hits the fan, all of a sudden, at some point during season eight, there's going to be wolves dropping oh, from every sure. direction. Kind of like the whites were coming through the the, the ceiling at the Hodor scene. Because that's a huge tunnel. pack of wolves that she yeah. has. There's going to be some moment where these wolves just flood in from all directions, uh, I swear. And Nymeria is going to come in and Arya is going to ride off. On Nymeria's back. I guarantee it. Oh, damn. <laughs> I guarantee yeah. it, right? It has to happen. It has to. I mean, why why bring her back in right now if you're not going to use her again? I guess for closure, but... Yeah. Arya's going to be about to die or some shit. And Nymeria's going to jump in through the flames or something. And, <laughs> you know, Arya's just going to hop right on. And her whole pack of wolves is just going to start ripping up White Walkers. Yeah, just leap away. Oh, man. And so she's beckoning her, come with me. And we get the dog's face or the wolf's face again. And kind of like her little eyebrows are moving. It's a cute little, it's a cute dog. Yeah, whatever dog they used definitely. for Nymeria. And Arya's like reaching him out, like about to touch her, like Daenerys with Drogon at the top of the pyramid. And the wolf just 
kind of relaxes her head down and turns around and just walks away and all of her little wolf minions follow in suit. (laughs) They lope off. Oh my God. And what an army of wolves. Arya's face is like devastated, devastated. And then it turns to disbelief and then it kind of turns back to like really sad. And then it turns almost nostalgic because then she goes, that's not you and smiles because she knows that that's what she would do. Yeah. Like it's her wolf. She's acting exactly the way her wolf should act. And it calls back to that line on the steps in King's Mm -hmm. Landing with Ned when she's like, that's not me. Yeah. She's like, "Uh, um, can I be the Lord of a castle? And he's like, you're going to marry a Lord and your, your sons will be princes and stuff like that. And, uh, and she's like, no, "No." That's not me. Like, yeah, <laughs> like you said. I love it. So it's a beautiful, yeah, the symmetry with all the wolves and their, their, um, I don't want to say masters, but they're like partners. They're complementary humans. Um, it's pretty amazing. But yeah, I think that Nymeria is going to be in tow, in range, and we'll probably see her and this big ass pack of wolves again. That black wolf's going to like come out of the shadows or something, you know? <laughs> Rip someone's face off. Yeah, totally. It's going to be awesome. So that was my number two. Sweet. What's your number one? My number one is John choking out Littlefinger in the crypt. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) It's just so good, man. John goes down there after speaking with Sansa and after this big whole thing, which we'll get into later, where he decides to go to Dragonstone. That's actually my number one. Okay, so let's start with that then, since it leads into this. Okay, cool. Totally. So we're back up at Winterfell in the Great Hall, and all of the northern lords and ladies are up there. Um, And John is in the center of the room this time, which I liked. You know, he's not up at the high table. He's down with his men and women. Oh, that's really cool. That's very symbolic that he's a man of the people. Um, he stands among the people. He's part of them. And not above the people. Yeah. That's I mean, cool. There are shots of him sitting at the table, but for this news that he's delivering, he's with the people. Yeah, he's that's really cool. made a, a strategic choice to be down there with his people. So we find out that John has received Sam's Raven that he wrote with. Gilly about Dragonstone having a mountain of dragon glass. Yep. He also reveals that we received um, a raven a few days ago from Dragonstone sent by Tyrion Lannister. And that sends like a big murmur through the whole hallway. (laughs) Yeah. Big time. So he's, he's basically debriefing debriefing here. He's now Hand of the Queen to Daenerys Targaryen. She intends to take the throne from Cersei. She has a powerful army at her back. And if this message is to be believed, three dragons. And everyone's like, holy shit. God. Shit. (laughs) Yeah, that's major. I, you know, John has been invited to Dragonstone to meet with Danny, And he turns to Sansa, which I love. I'm going to accept, like, don't open your mouth. I'm, I've made my decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and because uh, she's undermined him a couple of times right, in these he's situations. Made a point of that. Like, don't talk, don't disagree in public. Like, come to me behind the scenes or whatever. 
I mean, so he's testing he her here t- because right, yeah, he's testing he did her. not debrief her on this. Right, he could have. So, well, she seems pretty shocked. Oh yeah, she's loses I mean, her so shit. I don't basically. think I don't she think out. he debriefed her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It was like a decision that he made not to. So I think, yeah. Yeah, like, you, like you're saying, it could be a test. But even though she questions him, she passes the test because it gives her, you know, command of Winterfell and the North as a whole as when he leaves. Yeah. So. We he continues, you know, we need the dragon glass. We need allies too. We, the Night King's army grows stronger every day. We see, like, let's be real. We cannot defeat them on our own. She has three fucking dragons. Like she's worth talking to about this situation that we're in. Yeah. We're the first people that it? are going to get hit. Yeah. Like we have to, we have to do something. So I need to try to persuade her. So we're going to go to White Harbor and then we're going to sail to Dragonstone. And Sansa's like, every every time a Stark goes south, they die. Yeah. Essentially. Like, have you forgotten what happened to our grandfather? And so she's wigging. She's like, what the fuck? She's like, she's like, Danny's dad called them down and then roasted them alive. <laughs> and Lord Royce. Oh, my God. He's yeah. just, he's a he's turned into the boob for me of the show. Yeah, totally. The new Mace Tyrell or something. Yeah. Been you know, <laughs> I, I knew the Mad King all too well. A t- our Targaryen cannot be trusted, nor can a Lannister. Yeah. And Sansa totally like starts a chain reaction. And everyone's like, here, here, here. Rabble, 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 rabble. Glover says some stuff. You know, we called your brother king and then he rode south and lost his kingdom. And Lyanna stands up, and I think this hurts John the most because oh, yeah. you lose Lady Lyanna, you lose the North, basically. The right? North, yeah. <laughs> She's like Winter. Is she makes a great point? I mean, Winter is here. You know, yep. we need you here. We need the King in the North. In the North, yeah. Like we need you to lead us through this time. And John, John throws kind of a hard pitch back to them, like Epic you speech. crowned me king. I didn't want it. I didn't ask for it, but I took it because this is my home. So like you've said that you trust me to be the king. Now you need to actually put that trust into motion and and trust what I'm doing. This is the only way. This is his first kingly action. Yep. We, we need allies. And Sans is like, well then send an emissary. Um, You can't go yourself. And John's like, Sansa, Daenerys Targaryen is a queen. She's not going to listen to an emissary. And she's not like some like new blood queen, you know, like, no, like, um, Renly or something like, (laughs) yeah, she's like, she comes from a line of them. (laughs) As far as they're all, you know, as far as many people are concerned, she's a Targaryen and has a claim to the throne. Right, right. So I'm the only one that can talk to her. And get her on my side. Like, and we should probably do it fast because what if Cersei gets her on her side? You know, like, that's what I was thinking. They need to act with haste here. Yeah, definitely. Sansa's like, you're abandoning, you're abandoning us. You're abandoning, you're abandoning the North. She's losing it at this point. Like, she's freaking out. She's about ready to cry, I think. Yeah. She's so fucking pissed. And she, and John just slaps a bomb on her. I'm leaving both in good hands. She's like, who, who the fuck are you leaving it with? And he goes, you, 
You're my sister. <laughs> You're the only Stark in Winterfell. Until I return, the North is yours. Oh, and I love man. she like sits back and like looks at him and just a ghost of she's great with ghost smiles. I like to, you know, oh, call yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. A little smirk comes across her face. And this she is nods. that recognition she's been craving, you know, that yes. like she wanted John to ask her how to deal with Ramsey. She feels like her her perspective and information is valuable and it's, it's being validated at this point as John makes her number two basically and says, when I leave the North, you're in control. You're in charge of the army. And uh, she's basically the Lord Sterling of this situation. My ancestor was uh, George Washington's number two. And when he left the, the, the 13 colonies, he left Lord Sterling in, in command of the Continental Army. So <laughs> that's kind of cool. That's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's my number one. Nice. And that leads right into my number one, which is after dropping the the big info on Sansa here and the bombshell that he needs to leave the North to the Northern Lords, he needs to go and reflect and collect himself and find his center. And the best place for him to do that is to go down to the crypt and to visit Stare his father. Stare at the graves. Yeah, so it cuts down to the crypts of Winterfell. And John is standing in front of Ned's crypt and his statue. And Littlefinger invades this sacred space. And I was like, oh, this is so fucked up for his manipulation. And uh, he, he, he is pretty presumptuous up. to go down there. Oh, my God. He goes God. down there multiple times. That's too. insane. Like, and this is the first time he's ever been called out that, like, you don't belong here. This is for yeah, like, like, what the hell is he thinking, Starks. dude? Yeah, this is a stark place. Um, and oh man, the crypts are so cool in the books. You get a bigger description. There's like layers and layers and layers. The crypts go down and down, deeper and deeper under the ground. And they're like all these different levels where the ancient stark kings have been buried and their families for like thousands and thousands of years. The crypts are huge. Crazy. Yeah, it's really cool. They just go down so deep and everything. Uh, <laughs> someplace I would love to explore. And so um, Baelish comes out of the shadows and he's like, I delivered his bones myself. <laughs> Talking about Ned, Ned's bones. Oh my God. And he's, I presented them to Lady Catelyn as a gesture of goodwill from Tyrion Lannister. Seems like a lifetime ago. Do give Lord Tyrion my best when you see him. And, and uh, John kind of, it's like, what the fuck? Like you can see on his face. He's just kind of like, like speechless. He doesn't even I can't say anything. Believe you're talking. I can't yeah. believe you're here talking to me right now. Right. And then amplifying it and really turning up the knob on the manipulation. Baelish is like, I was sorry when he died talking about Ned. And I'm like, you betrayed no, you Ned. Aren't. You betrayed him. Yeah. It's your fault. He's dead. Basically you turned the gold cloaks against him in the throne room when he was trying to intercede on the Royal lines behalf doing the right thing. And it was because of that that Joffrey had the power to execute him. So Littlefinger, you betrayed him. You were not sorry when he died. You saw him as an obstacle to Catelyn your whole life, basically. And you, I guarantee you, Littlefinger's wanted him dead for decades. You know what I mean? Yeah, you you probably weren't sad the day he lost his head. Right, you probably fucking laughed. And so um, he's like, your father and I had our differences, but he loved Cat very much. So did I talk about another awkward subject for John because I know because Kat hated him, hated John. Right. And he he brings that up to rub it in, make it even worse. Right. 
she wasn't fond of you, was she? <laughs> and I like how that he mentions though, but he starts to try to like relate and cut by complimenting him, right? Saying it appears she vastly underestimated John. And he's like, uh, but here you are, king in the north. Your bro- your father and brothers are gone, and you're the last best hope for the coming storm. Which I thought was a really cool uh, line. But coming from Littlefinger, John's like, this is fucking bullshit. Bullshit. And he turns to him, and you can just see how mad he is. He's so mad. You don't belong down here. Yeah, I just have uh, in my notes, he mad written there. In there. <laughs> and uh, Baelish is like, forgive me. We've never talked properly. I wanted to rem- remedy that. And John's like, I have nothing to say to you. Very Ned of him. You know, Ned mm-hmm. was the same way. Very There's dismissive of Baelish. Ned was very naturally um, suspicious of Baelish. Wouldn't give him the time of day type thing until he needed him you know, unfortunately, and put his trust in him. And that's how he got betrayed by him. But John is just like Ned here. He's just like walking away from him. Like, shut your fucking mouth, little finger. I don't want to hear any of your bullshit. Just like Ned, just like Ned. Like, like when Ned is being led by Baelish to the whorehouse in season one to go meet Catelyn. And he's just like, grin, like, like, just like, ugh, like grinning and bearing it, like having to put up with Littlefinger's bullshit. And so, um, this is when, Baelish has to turn it up to 11 <laughs> and he's like, not even a thank you. Like if it wasn't for me, you would have been slaughtered at the battlefield. <laughs> and, uh, and John kind of stops in his tracks still facing away from him. But, uh, he's like, you have many enemies, my King, but I swear to you, I'm not one of them. And this is like where he really drops a bomb on John. He's like, I love Sansa as I loved her mother. And, John is just not having any of this. He turns around like like fucking Mike Tyson or something with his hand swinging through the air and just in one motion just like whack grabs little finger like punch grabs his throat and just slams him against it. the wall. Yeah. I love it. And uh just knocks him back against the wall. <laughs> I've actually done that to somebody. Uh, really? Yeah, somebody that was like trying to beat up my friends. Uh, but, uh, yeah, side story. I've um, punched someone in the face before. Punch someone in the face. I mean, I didn't punch this guy in the face. I like throat. I know threw him, I haven't but... strangled somebody, but <laughs> I punched someone in the face. Yeah. 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 That's always fun too. So he slams him up against the wall of the crypt and he's choking him out. <laughs> and this again is also super, super Ned. Cause when, when little finger was leading him to the brothel, yep. remember he, he gets him to the doorway and and Ned's like, there's no fucking way that Catelyn's in there. You son of a bitch, you lying bastard. And he Throws chokes him up against, him against the, wall. the wall, just like this in season, season one. So John is totally, he's just like a spitting image of Ned in this scene. And they both have the same attitudes and opinions of, of Littlefinger. Super funny, super fun. And he just smashes him against the wall and Littlefinger reaches up with his hands and he's like grasping at his fingers, trying to like scramble his way out of the choke again and so good just love that and john uh, he finishes the conversation here again everybody's shitting on Littlefinger. sansa last episode Uh, like save your last words Littlefinger. i'm sure there was something snarky or whatever she said you know 
And then John smacking him down again here, literally like putting him in his place where he's like crouching against the wall, like sitting down on the, against on the floor, leaning back against the wall as John leaves. And John's like, touch my sister and I'll kill you myself. Ugh. It's like, n- that's all it was, is you fucked up Sansa's life, essentially. And that's why I fucking hate you. And that's yeah. why I'm not saying thank you to you. Totally. And yeah, your fucking, fucking little finger. Like, you're not supposed to be down here. Like, go fuck yourself. Yeah, and soon when Brand Computer shows up, they're going to have all the inside information about how Littlefinger has been behind data. everything from the beginning. Downloading Littlefinger data. <laughs> Initiate <laughs> operation Littlefinger exposure. So then we get John walking across the courtyard to his horse, which is a Frisian, by the way. Lots of Frisians oh, Frisian, in the north. Oh, cool. Nice. Yes. Yeah. So he he walks across the courtyard. I love Sir Davos's horse, by the way. Nice. I I missed his. He's he's. I didn't see any like of the horses in this. Something scene, that would be good for the sport that I used to do. Nice for for dressage. Yeah, really thick, high set neck, big strides, Sick. thick and bulky. Yeah. So uh, they hop on the horses, and John looks back at Sansa. And waves, and he like he went down to the to the crypt here. It seems like to seek strength from Ned for his upcoming journey because he's in the crypt right before going to Dragonstone. Like this yeah. is his last stop before hopping on the horse and rolling out. So he uh, he seems like he really wanted to go and visit Ned for strength, which is interesting because. When he learns that Ned had been lying to him his whole life, it's going to kind of throw his world upside down. Like I talked about before about being worried about Tyrion turning against Tyrion against Daenerys because Tyrion is like our rock as viewers. Like he's someone we can trust, someone we can rely on, someone who's just and wise. And um, for John, that person is is his his dad, Ned. You know, he's he's been the rock totally. in his life. His is just a picture of honor and virtue and a role model for John. So it's going to be rock a, his world. Yeah, it's going to really rock his world and be a contributing contributing factor in his identity crisis when he learns his the truth and simultaneously learns that he's been deceived um, by the person who he loves more than anybody. Basically, his dad. You know, yeah. Other than Arya, I would say. Like he reveres Ned, worships him, worships the ground he walks on, you know? Definitely. So yeah, they head out and he gives a nice wave to Sansa, a cool little moment between the two of them. And then it shows Baelish stumbling out of the crypt (laughs) and like grabbing his neck. (laughs) Yeah. And like kind of looking up and seeing Sansa looking so regal up on top of the, (laughs) yeah. And what I loved seeing Winterfell here, um, it's just cool seeing activity, like normal activity, kids shooting bows and arrows in the in the yard here. Yeah, it's reminiscent to when we first came across Winterfell in episode one. Yeah, the one. pilot episode. Um, things are sort of back to normal. There's kids, there's laughter, there's construction you can hear going on and people are rebuilding and... There's carts of hay and yeah, produce a, going by. Yeah, a new breath of life into Winterfell. It's really refreshing to see. So it's good. For now. Yeah, yeah, for now. Oh, man. I told you that we're going to have a guest. um, So there's going to be a big battle in season eight that took 60 days to shoot. 
and that it's going to be the longest battle in cinematic history, the uh, consecutive fighting, basically. And uh, we're happy to announce that we're going to have a guest on the podcast on Game of Microphones after that episode airs, an actor who was who was in the battle and fought, spent 60 days shooting this and interacting with the cast members, the main cast members and everything like that. So it'll be really interesting. So this guy, Yeah, he's also been on Vikings for like six years and stuff, I guess. So he, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to get the inside stories about shooting this major upcoming battle. And um, he's got some stories about about interacting with the cast and <laughs> running into him, like even physically, apparently. So like, whack. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So it should be kind of fun. Looking nice. forward to having that, uh, having this actor on our show. We'll give you guys more details as the time approaches, but something you can get hype about. Nice. I'm excited for that for sure. Yeah. It's going to be really cool. So yeah, that wraps up the John and Littlefinger choking and the, all that Winterfell stuff. All right, let's uh, move on to notes then. I got one more note about that scene that we were just talking about. Um, when he, when John receives the raven from Sam, it cuts to him in the in the room <laughs> in the king's quarters at Winterfell, and he's he's just sort of moping and brooding and plotting in there. I just thought that was f- worth mentioning. Of course, he <laughs> typical is. <laughs> plotting and typical brooding and moping scene with John is alone in the semi darkness. Uh, it's just kind of funny. Nice. So what's your first note? I'm up at Winterfell with Sansa, John, and Davos. Yes, same here. Sansa thinks that the letter from Tyrion could be a trick, but John points out that he has that little memo, that little note in there that says that um, all dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes, like we mentioned before. And that's something that that Tyrion had said to John that first night at that banquet at Winterfell. So we know, so he knows that it actually came from Tyrion. Right, that's exactly. the first clue. And I love that John is putting what kind of he said to Sansa about trusting each other and working as a team into fruition here because he turns to her and says, "Well, what do you think? You know him better than any of us standing right here." Right, you're like, married to him. You're married to him and Sansa's honest. She's like he's not like the others, but you know, it's still too great of a risk. Yeah. And then she reads what he says. The seven kingdoms will bleed as long as Cersei sits on the Iron Throne. Join us. Together we can end her tyranny. I love that. But um, also, I liked how Sansa stood up with to uh, stood up for Tyrion because um, like Tyrion is advising Danny, the queen, sticking up for John. Sansa is advising John, the king, sticking up for Tyrion. Right? <laughs> So it's like That's a cool awesome. little parallel that they're both for standing sure. up for uh, each other's parties and they they each kind of all know each other from the past and eat, all respect each other. So it's just yeah. like a match made in heaven, like, you know, a match that was made like um, meant to be. They're all going to be sure. connected and working together. It should be really cool. Nice. Davos is, you know, he's weary, mm-hmm. you know, because they're mentoring they're mentioning the Dothraki, the Unsullied and Three Dragons. Yeah, the casual and mention of the <laughs> casual mention. <laughs> Sounds like a charmer. Davos is kind of the one that puts, you know, being an ally into John's head. Yeah, he puts like, two and two they together. Breathe fire. He's like, you told me whites are killed by fire, right? So what's breathe? What breathes fire? Dragons. Like we need those fucking dragons to just come and roast all the undead. Yeah. Oh for sure. yeah. 
So yeah, you got the right idea, Davos. So so Danny needs John and the North to cement the rule of the Seven Kingdoms, and John needs Danny and her dragons to defeat the White Walkers and the Undead Army. They both need each other. They're both working for the same goals. Although John's task is like sort of like a torpedo task where he could be like, he could go in and like a suicide mission, kill the Night King and the necromancy powering the the whites potentially and die in the process of solving that problem. Whereas Danny's goal to unite the seven kingdoms and bring peace, uh, she needs to survive to complete that, right? So John totally. doesn't necessarily need to survive and he's already kind of on borrowed time having come back from the dead in the first place, Right. So I basically what I'm saying is that John doesn't need to survive this. Danny kind of does. We'll see what plays out in the end, who uh, does end up surviving, who doesn't. Definitely crazy. Yeah. So Davos is like, um, like, I'm not suggesting you meet with Danny. It's kind of too dangerous. But if the army of the dead makes it past the wall, like, do we do we have the power to fight him? And this is before John learns about the the um the mountain of dragon glass under dragonstone so at this point he's like yeah you know it's not worth it it's too dangerous to meet danny but once he learns about the dragon glass that's like the, the straw that breaks the camel's back basically and pushes him over the edge to being willing to risk his own bodily person essentially for the completion of the mission to acquire the dragon glass and potentially the dragons to combat the night king and the whites so totally yeah it's it's learning about the dragon glass that that cements his decision to go north or to go south as we learn coming up next we go to the throne room is that where, where you're at room. Too? Yep. and we get a yep. really cool shot an overhead view of the throne and the sort of platform the raised area that it's standing on that i don't think we've seen before this this particular so. view uh, it's yeah. really cool looking though i like that rounded area of the steps in front of the throne and everything like that it's just a nice beautiful set kudos to the designers Completely. I mean, for it's, sure. I would have preferred the book version of the throne, which is like 30 feet tall and made with like 2000 swords or something ridiculous. Oh, yeah. It's like a, it's it's like there's steps up to it, too. Yeah, it's really, all, really tall. Yeah, it's so you have to crazy. like walk up to it. You like walk up steps made of swords and shit. Yeah. There's a really good, like one official, per particular official version uh, depiction of it. I can't remember the artist's name, but it's like the one that's like George R. R. Martin endorsed. They have it in the Book of Ice and Fire and everything like that. It's fantastic looking. Oh, nice. Mark Simonetti is the artist. That's I think it. I've seen it. Yeah, I think I've seen that oh, one. Oh, yeah, you have for sure. I've posted it on Game of Microphones a few times, definitely. Nice. So Cersei is doing her whole propaganda thing here. And we see Randall and Dickon, <laughs> the Tarleys. Dickon. Yeah, the soon-to-be toasted Tarleys. And so um, Cersei's talking about D Danny in a very disparaging way, calling her the Mad King's daughter and talking about how the mindless, unsullied soldiers and armies of savages that she's brought will destroy all of the... Westerosi Lord's castles and hold fasts. And she's on a major propaganda rant. And she's talking about how House Tyrell is in open rebellion against the crown, having joined up with fire and blood and how even some of the bannermen of House Tyrell are here now. Um, those are the people that she's called here for this meeting. And so she's basically trying to turn some of these people against House Tyrell. So if this works and if she's able to turn these people, this is not good for Danny's army. It decreases the amount of soldiers that she has by a significant number, right? Which is what ends up playing out. So this is yes. not good. 
So she's going on it's her, her whole stupid rant. propaganda. Yeah, she's propagandizing the thing about these Dothraki heathens <laughs> who will rape she's and enslave your women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Butchering your children without a second thought. She's already cru- she's already crucifying noblemen and yeah. feeding them to her dragons and and she's demonizing um Olena for joining her saying this is how Olena Tyrell rewards centuries of service and loyalty. And um she's going through all these horrible things that Danny's going to do and that her people or soldiers are going to do and I'm like thinking of course Danny wouldn't allow this type of behavior. She even made Yara and Theon promise that the Ironborn would change their ways and not go on reaving and raping raping and, yeah. yeah. We you know, as a viewer not. know this, but the people of Westeros do not. Exactly, exactly. So this propaganda is very effective as we come to learn and uh, Jamie really like works his magic with um with Randall Tarley, as we'll see coming up here. But yeah, she goes, she continues about how in uh, Danny's brutality is already legendary in Westeros. And when she got bored of crucifying the masters, she began feeding them to her dragons. And I'm thinking like, <laughs> damn, that's a deft mix of truth and fiction poisoning the well it's called where yes. she's very um, slickly saying things that are true that she did crucify a bunch of noblemen, you know, and then she did, feed a couple to her dragons as well. But it's not in the manner that is described by Cersei, where it seems to be like, it's not hundreds of noblemen. It's hundreds of slave owners. They're, you know, brutal bastards basically. And it's not that she grew bored of them. It's that like, it was not out of She gave them a choice. (laughs) Yeah. It was never malicious or malevolent. It was done to, to, for justice, to free people and everything like that. So, it was just, you know, she's good at this. It's a, it's a slick little way to tell the truth, but taint it with, um, with false falsehoods at the same time. Somebody so, peed in Cersei's Cheerios that morning. <laughs> yeah. So the lords are <laughs> murmuring here and rabble, 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 rabble. People, people, calm down. Standing out here yelling rabble, rabble, rabble isn't going to help anything. I like when she says that she fed them to her dragons. The camera pans over to Dickon and oh, uh, what's his face? Because we know what happens to them. Yeah, and they're just standing Damn. there like good catch. Just stand yeah. there, just like they'll be standing there when they get roasted. Mm-hmm, exactly. So I was Hilarious. like, oh, foreshadow. Fuck. So Cersei goes on just being a total deceptive, manipulative just tyrant here. It's my solemn duty to protect the people, like pretending she gives a shit about the people. Um, But I'll need your help, my lords. We must stand together. You talk about burning them all the time. Like you don't give a fuck about the people. Yeah, not at all. Like even like Marjorie wanted to donate the food, the leftover food from the 77 courses of Joffrey's wedding. Yeah. And she fed it to the fucking dogs. I mean, not fucking like dogs are, you know, we love the dogs, not the fucking dogs, but she she took it away from the poor people. Yeah. Those hounds are already well fed. You know what I mean? They're getting good meat and everything all the time. But this food, yeah, should have gone to the people like Marjorie suggested. So. She's uh, pretending she gives a shit. She's Randall Tarly is questioning how the fuck are we even going to stand up against the dragons and Kyburn hints that they have a solution they're working on. 
We are currently working on a solution. Yeah, so ominous since we've seen his past solutions already. We've seen the Franken Mountain, which is a terrifying solution to a problem. We've seen the, the wildfire explosion at the Sept, which is another terrifying solution to a problem. So Kyburn is, uh, his solutions are pretty fucked up. That's what we know. So it's yes. really ominous that he's like, I've got a solution, your grace. <laughs> so the meeting uh, ends and Jamie is walking along with Randall Tarley. And uh, <laughs> well, first he, he, he's, he goes up to them and Randall's like, I believe, you know, my son. And he's like, Rick, Rickon, is it? Dickon. Oh, that. That's it. <laughs> it's like uh, Jamie is like kind of like making fun of him almost there. Yeah. Hilariously. So he ends up convincing Randall to join basically. And, uh, and you know, anything you th- thought was worth mentioning particularly about that? Um, I liked that, you know, Randall's, you know, calling Cersei his queen, but that, you know, he's also known Elena Tyrell since he was like a little kid. So he basically he's hinting to Jamie, you're putting me in a really difficult right. position. That's interesting too. Jamie's like, I want you to be, he's like giving him some good incentive, right? He's like, I want you to be my ranking general in the wars to come. The wars to come, that phrase we talk about. I want you to swear allegiance to Cersei and I want you to help destroy her enemies. All of them. All of them. Yeah, so he's like, I'm going to be giving you this really good bounty. Like, you're going to be the man, but you're going to have to break your Yeah, we're going to make you oath. warden in the West if yeah. you do this. You're just going to have to break your oath to House Tyrell and uh, join us, basically. And Jamie throws it right back and is like, so you would rather basically fight with Elena with a army of savages against the crown. Right, right, like, right. You know, it's 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 a great scene between the two of them, for yeah, sure. And it's poignant for Jamie to be putting Randall in this position, too, because Jamie is very well-versed with being put in positions of decisions um, that make you have to choose between vows, right? That's something that Jamie had to deal with when he killed the He's Mad King. He's doing it to somebody, even though he knows how it feels. Right, exactly, which is... Uh, yeah, I mean, Jamie's going to do anything he has to do. We've seen how rugged he is th- with threatening to throw babies with trebuchets <laughs> and everything like that. So throwing little boys out the window. Yeah, he's shown that he will he will put people in positions that he knows that are, are uncomfortable from his personal experience, and that's exactly what he's doing here. So just kind of an interesting little thing that Jamie's making him do that. But basically, he, he he's like, yeah, you're going to be the man. Just go along with it. Otherwise, you'll be, you know, enemies of us. <laughs> and Tarly's like, oh, we're not, you know, he's he's at first he's arguing against it. He's like, we're not oath breakers. We swore an oath to Tyrell. And he's like, you swore an oath to the crown as well. So they're like really pointing out that this is one of those decisions where you're caught between oaths. Yeah, it's you're you're wrong or right in both scenarios, right. depending on which side of the coin you sit on. And since since Randall Tarley has been such a scumbag, there's like a moment here where he's kind of likable, where he shows loyalty to Olena. And he's like, I, I've known Olena since I was a child, you know, like this is really fucked up, man. And I was like, good for you. But in typical Randall Tarley fashion, he ends up being a douchebag and siding with Cersei. If any, of course, if anybody's going to side with Cersei, it's going to be Randall Tarley. Right? Randall Tarley. The two like worst people around. <laughs> and yeah. the Euron Greyjoy. Next, the Night King <laughs> will join up with them and it'll be like the fucking dream team of nice. evil. 
So the next note I have is the um, Valerian the Dread. Wait. Oh, yeah. Yes. Poor Valerian. Yeah, Valerian the Dread. Yeah, we get to learn more about Kyburn's um, solution. So they're down in the in the dungeons and... Where King Robert would go with his whores occasionally. <laughs> to look at the skulls because they were his trophies. Yeah. And I love that because... He removed them, but didn't destroy them. Yeah, they, he couldn't keep them around because they would have made him look small. small. And this is interesting because he's a conqueror. He he won the throne by conquest. And this same thing, I think this reason is why conquerors tend to erase the history of the people they're conquering. It's to make themselves look bigger in the grand picture, um, to be more For significant. Sure. Because if people had a memory of the history of the you know the establishment beforehand, this new leadership would be like a small blip on the radar of Especially the bigger picture. Especially something right? as crazy as dragon skulls. Yeah, 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 exactly. Totally. So Kyvern is basically debriefing Cersei here, and he's telling her that one of Danny's dragons was wounded in this, wounded by spears in the fighting pits of Marine. Yeah, the Daznax pit scene. If they can be killed... They can be wounded. Yeah, and that was... A, or, I'm sorry, if they can be wounded, they can be killed. Yeah, and that was a Predator reference. Remember that? If it bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> yep. True so statement. Like, so there's this big thing covered with a cloth, and Chiron rips it off and, and unveils the scorpion. Yeah, and, and we see... Oh, man, it's so fucked up. It's aimed at Balerion. And then it's aimed right at Balerion, the dread skull. Yeah, and this is... Aren't in the books the... Uh, the bones of the dragons black. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been a cool thing. Oh yeah. I'm it, surprised they didn't some do of them that. Are, some of them are in the show. The the hilt of the the cat's paw dagger is made of dragon bone, dragon's bone, and it's black. It's black. Okay. Yeah. But this is where Arya was hiding in season one. Remember yes. when she heard the she conversation? Was, she was hiding in the skull. Yeah. The conversation with Varys and Illyrio Mopatis talking about Mopatis. if one hand can die, so can another, etc. Um, yes. she's like, they're going to kill you, dad. <laughs> and, and this skull is massive, man. And then, um, Balerion, the, the black dread, just the coolest fucking dragon ever. Like as cool. Which, and which huge I as noticed. Is. Okay. So Drogon is bigger than Balerion. No, he's not. Balerion was way, way, way okay. older and huge. Okay. Look at Cersei standing in front of his face. And then when we get John standing in front of Drogon, tell me that Drogon's not smaller than Balerion. Well, Balerion lived to be nearly 200 and was monstrous. Like oh, Drogon. Okay, would, well, their skulls are pretty close to the same size. Then. Yeah, I will give you that. On the show, they, they have Drogon's skull, or not Drogon, Balerion's skull, way smaller than it would have been. Okay. Um, okay. The, the Balerion from the books could swallow horses whole, like easily. Damn. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we get that story from Davos and Shireen. Oh, when she's learning, teaching him how to read. Yeah. And there's like there's pictures like George R. R. Martin endorsed pictures in the world of ice and fire where Aegon is riding on on Balerion's back. Is he a dollop of daisy? He's 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 a he's a he's not even a dollop of daisy. He's like a fleck of um, of dandruff on Drogon's shoulder and Balerion's (laughs) shoulder. He's some lice. (laughs) Yeah, it's hilarious. He's super tiny. But yeah, Drogon is huge, no doubt about that. Yeah, so Kyburn's talking and saying that, you know, we've had the blacksmiths and the artillerers working 
um, you know, day and night, if you could kindly pull that lever. Yeah. And so oh, Cersei releases the lever and it un- it launches this giant bolt straight into his fucking eye socket. And I'm like, oh, oh it, my man. God, they can't kill a dragon. So, yeah. of course, we're all thinking like, oh, my God, it's going to be Drogon. Right. But they they do kill a dragon and it's not by the scorpion and it's not Drogon. It's Viserion. It's the ice javelin. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, for, for all we know, one of these ballistas or scorpions could still kill a dragon, you know, and like Cersei's still got them building more. I'm sure. I, I just hate that it, it they're disgracing or uh, dis- disrespecting the skull of this majestic dragon. Balerion. I was like, Oh, legendary beast of like, he's the most famous like dragon ever. The coolest putting a bolt through his skull. Yeah. It's, it's like, super dude, messed he's up. already dead. Like, why don't you do like one of the smaller dragons? Yeah. Not Balerion. Like if any of them don't, don't do that to Balerion, man, that's not cool. So yeah, so, next we're with Grey Worm and Masande, right? Brown chicka bow wow. Yeah. Brown chicken, brown cow. And yeah, Missande is pissed. She's pissed. Yeah. She's like, what? She's you're you're leaving. You weren't going to say goodbye. And he's not super slick about this at first. He's like, I'll see you when I return. <laughs> like, he's dude. so awkward. Yeah. Super awkward. And he, even the way he describes like how he loves her instead of saying like, I love you. She, she's like, it's, he's like, it's too hard for you, for me to say goodbye to you. And she's like, why? He's like, you know why? And she's like, I don't. And instead of saying, I love you, he says, you're my weakness. <laughs> and she's like, what? That's what I am. That's what I am. A weakness. Yeah. But his, his explanation does come around to being quite eloquent. You know, he's how he was like the badass, unsullied guy that was never scared in any of the tests that they did. He was, he was never the biggest or the strongest, but he was always the bravest until he met Missande of the Isle of Narth. And now, and now he has fear. And she's touched by that. I like that he goes into talking about like how the unsullied mass like came over their fears. You know, one boy's afraid yeah. of dogs, so they sleep with the dogs. Forced one guy hates high places. One guy is frightened of the water. Well, that sucks for you because we're just going to throw you in. And if you die, great. If you don't die, great. Either way, strong unsullied. Yeah. Like, oh my god. Yeah. That's super intense. It's like Ivan Drogo, Ivan Drago, and Rocky Four. If he dies, he dies. <laughs> <laughs> so Masande says now she feels fear too. She's like I, I'm scared too. Yeah. I, you know, I believe it. I'm afraid too. And she starts undoing her dress. I love, okay. <laughs> this is so funny. Oh, okay. he first, first gray worm rushes forward and gives Start him kisses out. her. Yeah. Mm, I love it. You can see him. He's contemplated. He's holding his hands, holding back. And he's thinking, and you can just see him. Like he kind of like moves his head and he's just like, fuck it. I'm just going to go do it. Yeah. And he just like reaches up to her and kisses her. And I love that moment. Cause there's been so much like so sexual much tension, tension yeah. between them off the charts. Um, yeah. They do a great job and her dress. I, it's so, they're so creative because, okay. Like in our world, you know, like women wear bras, we don't just have like lace up things that we can just pull and like stuff like falls off our bodies. Um, the way they <laughs> have it cool, in the yeah. show, like we see it with Malisandra, we see it a few times. We we see it with Masande. It's just Sansa. very, yeah, easy clothes to get ripped off. And her dress, the way it unlaces from the bottom to the top, 
It reminds me of the way you open a grain bag. Uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> like there's it, they're sewn together. And if you if you pull the right string, you can unseal the entire grain bag without having it's to cut like it. It's like a uh, sweater, like unraveling. <laughs> yeah, but string. if you pull the wrong string, it doesn't work. Oh, interesting. Then you have to like cut it because then you screw it up. So you always have to pull the right string to do it. And the way her dress was like sewed up, it kind of reminded me of that. So I kind of chuckled to myself. That's funny. And then same with gray worms. It just kind of like comes off. Yeah. She boobs. just kind of pulls it off of him. And then we see boobs and booty. Yeah. And oh, man. she wants to see all of gray worm. Yeah. And he's like, no, like you can't handle Please it. No. And this is a, one of his fears. I think is since we were just talking about how, they the the unsullied have fear and the way that they're trained to conquer their fears is by facing them i think one of his fears is to like have her have see, her him see naked. his like the truth and um like it's something that he's ashamed of and something that he you know like it's got to be his fear now that he has the opportunity to to be in love you like can't do anything with it that's like his worst fear is facing that reality you know so he kisses her she and she seems wants to, to look. like what she sees yeah and then they crawl on the bed and the rest is that moment many though, things. like where he decides to give in and like let her in on on oh, it's awesome on the truth. Like it's one of the most intense moments ever, like on the show, like where he finally is just like you know, he, you can see him contemplating it and and he lets her do totally. it, like, lets her like disrobe him and shit, and it's just like oh man, it's super intense. And then he Super like intense. starts kissing her body and you can see her. She's like breathing heavy and she's kind of looking around like, how's this going to go down? Yeah. And then he gives her the Lord's kiss. <laughs> the Lord's And he kiss. hasn't even met Jon Snow yet. How is he? How does he get this? How does he tip? know about this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, many things. Yeah. Many things happen. Hmm. Many things. Very interesting. So yeah, really nice. beautiful scene between the two of them as, as they can finally embrace the connection that they've been sort of skirting around and dancing around for a while and come together and overcome the fear of the, of the connection. And it's, you know, for all, for all we know, Dan, gray worm was going to go off to battle. He could be killed. Like this is his chance. They needed to, they need to, to do, do this. this right now, you know? Nice. So it's just really good to see that come to fruition and to see them both be accepting of each other. And, um, make and do with what they have basically <laughs> or don't have do or don't, but they uh, still did many things. Yep. Totally. So I can't believe that neither of us chose this ship battle in our top five. I know. Well, I was just, you know, I was kind of in a rush doing notes and I was just going one by one, like as cool things were happening in the episode, I just picked the top, my, the first five of my favorite. And this just didn't I make it. have to, I have to say and maybe people be mad at me when I say this, but this is my least favorite battle scene of the series. Oh, wow. I like it. It's great. I'm not like dogging it in any way, but. Right. It's still Game of Thrones. Putting it up against all the other major battles that we have in this series. It's the weakest one for me. Mm. Um, and that's just a personal thing. What I do love about it. It's a different. um it's in a different 
way. Like it's not on a battlefield. It's in like this close proximity of a ship. Yeah, that's cool. So it has like this pirate vibe. It reminds me kind of of like Pirates of the Caribbean. So there are definitely aspects that I love. It was completely unexpected. Yeah. And I did not anticipate this. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. So over the top. It's like maniacal, like mustache twirling level. So I like it. There are aspects that I like about it, but I have to say that it's in my mind, the weakest battle the show has produced. Mm. And there has to be one. Sure. They're all amazing. Like, I'm not saying this is terrible. I'll watch this any day. Fuck yeah. And be like, that was badass. But then you put it up against Loot Train or Battle of the Bastards or At the Wall. It's just or so Hard outlandish Home. at points that, you know, yeah. like that it's, it, it can kind of like maybe. I um, felt like it was a little bit made for shock value. Yeah, like not, take you out of the reality of the moment. It was kind of out of context of this episode as well, in my opinion. Although we did at the beginning get their strategy that they were sailing down to Dorne. Yeah, Although I, I liked that it was kind of out of place, though, because it surprises us. It totally surprised me. I was like, oh, Damn. Yeah, definitely. So we we kind of start. We get the stupid sand snakes. Some more bound, bound. Oh yeah, first yeah, stupid ma, ass ma, sand snake. Ma, ma, yeah, ma. see, like that's some dumb shit that they would never say in the books. That just I made know. book readers be like, oh my god, who are these? Who They're are just these? Arguing about Oberyn, and it's just like whatever. Instead of sand snakes, are like sand salamanders or some shit. <laughs> Was it so? Tyene is just like obsessed with sticking up for Ilaria. Yeah, her mommy. Obara wants to uh, fight the mountain, and Nymeria is like, "Are you fucking kidding me? He killed our dad! Like he'll crush you easily in one hand." And Tyene is like saying that Ilaria says father got careless, you know, and that pisses them off, and they start chanting that mama thing. Will you shut up about mama? Mama. Yeah, and then we cuts to. Yara and Theon <laughs> and Ilaria. And there's a whole nother foreign invasion going on here. <laughs> a foreign invasion is about to ensue. Yeah, as, <laughs> as they're sort of flirting. And, and they like, she like pulls her leg open and Yara's like, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah. A boy in every port. A boy, a girl depends on the port. So she swings both ways as we do learn confirmed here. We weren't sure if she was interested in men at all previously. Um, so we do learn that she does like guys. It doesn't seem that way, but I mean, she does. Apparently, we just don't see it. Yep. So um, at first, Ilaria, when she didn't realize she had a chance with Yara, she like was thinking like thinking the wine tasted like piss and everything. Now that she could get some sex at time, she wants some more wine. And she's like, I'm starting to come around on it. You know, <laughs> I'm developing a taste for it. Mm-hmm. And she uh, she starts bossing around Theon like, can we get some more over here? It's like, she's not your servant. Yeah. I liked how Yara stood up for Theon and was like, listen. Like, Me too. Yeah. Um, that was cool. She's always got Theon's back. So it's sad that Theon doesn't have her back and just jumps off the ship like Jack Sparrow coming up here. Well, his PTSD like kind of kicks in and I don't really blame him. He yeah, sees he reeks like, out. people's tongues getting ripped out. And- yeah, he had a reek flashback and uh it's yeah, it's it's sad. You know, he it was like Theon was almost cemented. He was so close. This is his last relapse that we know of, though. He, yeah, think, there could be another one. Yeah, I think the next time, like he hasn't really been in combat yet. 
you know, since fleeing and escaping from, from Winterfell and then escaping. Maybe he's from, learned something about that. Maybe he shouldn't put himself into positions where there could be possible combat. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, um, I mean, he was kicking ass before he ended up facing off with Euron. So maybe just his first dipping of his toes back into a combat scenario and seeing those guys being tortured made him feel like, oh shit, maybe I'm going to get tortured. And that triggered some PTSD or something like that feeling outnumbered, out overpowered, that everything was lost and um, he just kind of lost it. It's not until later in the season when he is with the other Ironborn on the seashore at Dragonstone, right? That he kind and of he, finally stands up for himself and yeah, beats the shit start, out of that guy. Yeah, he starts like assaulting Theon and kneeing him in, the, in where what would be his nuts. And he realizes that his nutlessness is now his superpower. <laughs> As, you know, I love, and he gets like this devilish grin. He's like, I got you now, you fucker. Yeah. And it's like he faces his fear. Like he finally gets in a fight, realizes that he can still fight really well. And as 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 much as uh, he lost like his dick, which was the center of his identity, his sword, you could say, he still has his sword, his real sword. You know, and so that's like a big confidence booster for him once he once he finally gets in that fight and and faces a confrontation and um, goes through with it and doesn't run away. He realizes that he you know, you live to fight another day as long as you live. Right. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So then all of a sudden we hear this giant crash up up above deck and Yara like completely changes gears from like getting ready to get down with Alaria from bounce to bow to just like stay here. And she like rips the sword out of the side of the stairs and heads up, up to the upper deck and, you know, you know, kind of follows. And what they discover is just chaos and mayhem. And there's flaming arrows and flares coming across the sky. Yep, And they look over the ship and out of the fog comes that monstrous. Oh my God. So badass. The fucking Kraken beast with the two wings, wing sails sticking out on the sides. I love that shot that we get of it in the water ramming underneath underwater. Yeah. You see that crazy uh, bow ram jabbing a hole through the the hull of the ship. So cool. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we get this giant plank come crashing down and just like splatters one of the sailors into the And it has teeth on the underside. How fucking cool is that? Yeah, so clearly that's common to yep. get crushed by a plank. <laughs> and Euron is riding down on it as like, it falls. Ah! <laughs> it's just the craziest look on his face when it lands. He's like, he looks ah. like a maniac. He's Total like, maniac. He this is, a maniac. is what gets him off. If it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, it's a duck. It's a He's duck. a fucking maniac. <laughs> and so Yara sees, um, I think she sees Tyene. Yes. She's one of them. And she's, she says to her, your mother is below deck. Yep, Keep her safe. Yeah. Cause it's Tyene. That's, oh, that's, um, yeah, Alaria's yeah, daughter. that's right. I couldn't remember if it was Tyene. That was Alaria's yep. daughter, like biological yeah, daughter. And Whip, so we got Obara, who's, you know, his mother was the nameless crying girl. We've got Tyene, whose mother is Alaria. And then we've got Lady Nim, who's the whip girl. <laughs> Nymeria. Nymeria. Lady Nymeria, yes. So um, they see each other. They walk down the stairs and they embrace. And three men climb down the stairs and surround them. And Tyene gets her knife out and she starts kind of striking out at them. And we cut back up to the the upper deck and 
Theon's actually fighting here. Yeah. He's it, like cutting couple couple people down. He's looking at his sister. Speaking of his sister, where we skipped an important line where Yara had said to him, uh, to um, Ilaria, Yara, Ilaria, all these similar names. Ugh. Yara had said to Ilaria that Theon will be her advisor and her protector. And oh, Ilaria yes, was like, oh, right. your protector, I see. So it, it kind of oppositely foreshadows that Theon ends up abandoning Yara and sadly not protecting her in this episode. Um, mm. Sadly. Damn. Just that thought that, that line was worth mentioning that we forgot. But yeah, as you were saying. As I was saying, so they're, they're just up, up cutting people down. I mean, then all of a sudden we get Euron cutting through the men and then we get the whip and it lashes out around his throat. And I'm like, yes, uh-huh. <laughs> Euron's going to die tonight because I don't really like Euron as a character. Right, right, right. What's likable about him, you know? I have mixed feelings about him. Mm-hmm. He adds dynamic, but I think it's just a little too much dynamic. Right, right, right. <laughs> a, little, a little extreme. A little too crazy, a little, a little too maybe. extreme. Maybe if he wasn't like, I know he's supposed to be crazy, though, because he lost his mind in that storm that time. So I I get it. I get his oh, right, character. Right, right. But in the context, he might be better in the books, I think. In the context of the show, He's kind of random. Yeah, and it's he's totally different in the books. He's a combination of book characters in the show. Yeah, it's just he's kind of a random character in the show for me. And so they start going at it, and he punches her straight in the face, and then Obara comes from behind and stabs him in his arm. Oh, man. And, you know, he's knocked down, but, you know, he quickly gets back up, and they continue kind of fighting. And we're kind of going, like, from below decks to upper decks. Yeah. And so in, in the background, we cut, we're seeing flashes of lightning through the clouds, which are adding like ambient light that, that doesn't match the rest like of the lighting of the fire. Balls, and, like flying everywhere. And yeah, just the colors of contrasting between these two different types of light are like wild. Did you notice all the embers in the air too? Oh yeah. Yeah. I love it. I so loved cool. Probably that. like that Adobe so after badass. effects. <laughs> you know? I loved that so, so much. That yeah. was one of the, parts that I liked about this battle was yeah, the, the, fi- the embers, the, the scenery the um, around it was tight quarters, but you know, they're on the water, you know, they're on a ship that's sinking. There's fire everywhere. They're surrounded by it. Yep. There's fireballs. There's embers. There's blood just splattering everywhere. Oh um, my God. I just realized something crazy. Well, we'll, we'll, what? we'll get to it when we, when we okay. move further. Sorry. No. So, I mean, Obara, so, we we go back down to the captain's quarters and Tyene's still fighting off the men. She like hits one of them in, in the the nuts essentially, uh. and then it cuts back up to Obara and Euron, um, and he disarms her and he grabs her by the throat and headbutts her in the face. And I was like, oh fuck, she's dead. She's done for. And he rams her her own spear through her stomach and lifts her off the ground. I was oh, like, oh my god. Vicious. So intense, and Nim sees her and just like screams and agony and freaks out, frustration and anger, and so she rushes Euron and she with the whip. Whip girl is pissed. Whips him, and yeah. he grabs the end of the whip. Which I'm sorry, <laughs> good luck. Whips her with very that. fast. 
That would take a lot of hand-eye coordination to grab the end of a whip. Yeah, very fast. Do you know what makes the whip noise, the crack of the whip? Do you know what causes that noise to happen? Isn't it like the wind against like the barrier of sound? It's it's when the tip of the whip, basically good whips are designed from being a certain thickness by the handle and they get gradually thinner and thinner and thinner until the very end where they're just like a wisp. And the the way that when you swing a whip, the kinetic energy travels through the the rope. And as it gets thinner, the energy remains the same, basically. And that same energy is has a much stronger effect on the thinner parts of the whip than it does on the thicker part towards the base. So it translates into a much faster motion. And so by the end of the whip... It's moving so fast that the tip of the whip cracks a bit like it breaks the barrier of sound. And that's a sonic boom that you hear when a whip cracks. So, yeah, whips are really fast. You catch a whip with your hand. You're like, it's like, like super so ninja style status. Or Sorry, something. I've cracked many whips and I don't think I could ever catch the tail of it. Right. I mean, it would cut your fingers off. You know? Yeah. So that was really unbelievable for me. But he like grabs Nim and um he punches her and kind of knocks her down and then he oh. takes Nim's whip and wraps it around her throat. I'm like, Oh my God, that's two st- sand snakes, like <laughs> right in a row that yeah. get like off both killed with their own weapons. And interestingly, this trend will sort of continue as far as we know too. Right. Because it's the long farewell. I think that, that, yes. um, Ilaria uses to kiss Marcella. Yes, which, it is. Um, and then, Cersei reverses it on on Ilaria and uses that to kiss Tyene or to to yeah to kiss Tyene. So it's like her weapon that she used is coming back to bite her as well. Oh damn, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so all these Dornish ladies are having their own weapons come back to kill them or to get revenge on them. So then we cut back down to the captain's quarters and they're now getting overpowered and yep. they grab her from behind and they walk over and grab Alaria and Alaria knows she's like, kill us, get it over with. Get I think she has with. a feeling like she doesn't want to be captured because it's not good for that. You right. know, if it's especially the Lannisters behind this whole siege. Oh yeah. And so bad news bears. We cut to the kind of like exterior um, upper deck and almost every ship in Yara's fleet is burning. It's so fun. Um, there are flaming bolts like going across the sky. Some um, massive like launched projectile just like takes yeah, out the mass. Like fireballs like, like, going going by and Crazy. Yara spots Euron and starts going after him. Oh, and he goes, give your uncle a kiss. And uh, I'm like, ew. That's, yeah, like, it's super perverted. There, That may be an allusion to his book character. There are oh, really? hints in the book that he may have raped his brothers. Ew. Yeah, like at least uh, Victorian, potentially. There, It's Gross. alluded to. So, yeah, there is a precedent of potentially Euron having incestuous tendencies. Oh, my God. That's disgusting. Forced incest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So Yara jumps down and they start fighting and clearly Euron is the better fighter here, the stronger fighter. He's got that wicked fucking Kraken axe too. With like a, yes. Oh, it's so cool. I think Valyrian Steel sells a replica of that as Valyriansteel.com. well. ValyrianSteel.com? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um. So Theon... Here's his uncle yell 
his name and turns back and Euron is holding Yara and he has his axe to her neck and Theon stops and he's like, oh, fuck. And Euron, I think, kind he of goes, knows. little Theon. <laughs> little Theon. Oh, man. Come on, you cockless hound. I have her. Come and get come her. Come and get her. So, so Ramsey, come and see, bastard. Come and see. Come and see, bastard. Yeah. Um, Cockless So Theon sound. starts reeking. Yeah, he starts reeking out. And, and Yara, sadly, can see it on his face even before he jumps into the water. He starts, like, twitching. Yeah, she knows. He's she looking knows around at the fucked. scenery, like, all these people getting fucked up. And, yeah, she knows. She knows. She's totally. She knows. She's, she knows. She knows. Oh, man, that reminded me of a scene from Dexter. Oh, damn. Never watched it. I have friends so that good. have. Oh, yeah, I've heard it's really good. I just never got into it. I should watch it at some point. Yeah, you love I it. Plan on it. Love it. Yeah. So then we get the horrible scene of Theon just reeking out, and yep. he just decides he to breaks. bail on his sister. Uh. He jumps overboard. <laughs> and what does he say, gentlemen? You'll always remember this as the day that you almost caught Captain Jack Sparrow. I mean, Theon Greyjoy. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> this is the day that you will always remember as the day that you... Idiot. And then Euron, he looks so crazy here. He's like looking at her like mm-hmm. with his eyes and... They're all wide, and his mouth is pursed, and his his, like tongues like hanging out. Yeah, and he just begins to hysterically laugh like a lunatic. And and Yara's face is so sad. Her face—you could see that she knew even before he jumped. Like he's he's lost again. You know, he's not coming for me, and she looks like defeated. It's really it's really sad, especially because she's got his back. She's she came for him. Now she was trusting him to be her protector, like she told Ilaria. And here he is letting her down and um, just reeking out again. But he does rally the men to to try to go and save her later on in the season. So hopefully we get some positive resolution from that. I hope so. Yeah, that would be nice. It could be a beginning of a redemption for Theon. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, he jumps off into the water and watches as the big ass mothership like sails off into the distance, right? It's crazy. Yeah, super crazy. Fuck, man. He drops his sword before he jumps too. That part's pretty hardcore. You know, as soon as he drops the sword that it's like it's it's reek at that point kind of. Totally. Uh but he lives to play another day, you know? He dies. So that's good. So that's kind of everything I have, I think. All right. Stick with us, guys. We'll be right back after a short break. And we're back with Game of Thrones and History. From RuadButler.com, 10 Ways That Medieval Ireland Represents Game of Thrones by Ruad Butler. The Fall of House Stark. In the show, one of the principal families is Stark. From their seat at Winterfell, they have ruled the North for thousands of years and are remembered for their great sense of honor and duty. 
their power is broken and their family is scattered or killed during the course of the television show after they come into conflict with the well-connected House Lannister following the execution of Eddard Stark. The fall of House Stark reminded me immediately of the aftermath of the Kildare Rebellion of 1534. For the century before the revolt, the Earls of Kildare had ruled Ireland as Lord Deputy, the office that had subsumed that of Justiciar, but they were in all but name sovereign and king. As did the Starks in the north, the Kildares made peace and war without any direction from the newly imposed usurper in the capital. In Westeros, this was, of course, Robert Baratheon. While in the 16th century Ireland, the Kildares faced King Henry of House Tudor, the seventh of his name. <laughs> I like how they did that. Yeah. <laughs> so powerful did the Kildares become that the eighth Earl, Gerald, was called the uncrowned king of Ireland. And Henry Seventh even commented, if all Ireland cannot rule him, he shall rule all Ireland. Damn. In 1487, Kildare even tried to replace Henry VII, a man he believed to have no right to the throne, with a new king just like Eddard Stark tried to do with Joffrey Baratheon. Mm. In Kildare's case, he tried to impose a pretender of his own making, Lambert Simnel, Damn. on the throne, claiming that he was the nephew of King Richard III. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, the Lionheart? Is that King Richard III? I can never remember. I think so. I think you're right. I can't remember, though. I'm not 100%. Oh, no, that was Richard I. Such was, such was Kildare's power, however, that even defeat on the field of battle could not lead him to suffer the same fate as poor old Eddard Stark. His son, the ninth Earl of Kildare, did come cropper at the hands of the crown. He had assumed the role of as Lord Deputy upon his father's death, death in 1513, but soon argued with his fellow dynast, the Earl of Ormond. His rival was, at the time, making a play for the position of power within Ireland and had the favor of King Henry VII and his chief minister, Cardinal Wolseley. I remember him yeah, from... Yeah, Wolsey. Um, yeah, from... Uh, Tudors. The Tudors, yeah. But Henry VIII. Yeah, now we're yeah. into that generation. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Of King Hen I said King Henry VII. I meant to say the eighth. I didn't oh, see the extra third there. Yep. So um, his favor of King Henry VIII and his chief minister, Cardinal Woosley. Much like the Lannister, Lannister, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Lannister. Lannister. That's a good nickname for them. Yeah, totally. Seriously. Much like the Lannisters, had forced their way into a position of power in King's Landing. The unease and distrust between the two families resulted in one of Kildare's clients assassinating Ormond's son in 1532. Called to face the charges in England, Kildare was committed to prison and died there, not by beheading, but rep reputably of grief. His son, the dramatically named Silken Thomas, <laughs> heard false reports that his father had been executed and immediately did a Rob Stark calling his bannermen together and renouncing his allegiance to the King of England. Damn. Wow. While Rob aimed to march on King's Landing, Silken Thomas attacked the capital of the Irish Lordship, Irish Lordship at Dublin. Both aimed to secure vengeance for their father's death. It's wild. Next, the King in the North and the Battle of the Blackwater. 
Staying with the eldest son of House Stark, Rob's successful military campaign and subsequent elevation to kingship during the first three seasons is reminiscent of the career of Edward Bruce. You'll remember, you'll remember how, despite winning battle after battle against the Lannisters' superior forces, Rob's strategic errors as well as political blunders led him into all-out retreat, culminating in his shocking death at the Red Wedding. Edward Bruce was the younger brother of the famous Robert Bruce, King of Scots, and invaded Ireland in 1315 with the aim of creating a second front in his family's war against Plantagenet, England. With aid from the native Gales in Ulster, Edward inflicted numerous defeats on some of the most powerful Anglo-Norman lords of the day, Roger Mortimer, Richard de Burgh, Edmund Butler, Milo de Verdon, and John Fitzgerald, as well as burning their cities and storming their castles. At Dundalk in 1315, Edward even declared himself King of Ireland, nicely paralleling Rob's assumption of the old title of King in the North in Game of Thrones. Rob Stark was, of course, able to push southwards through Westeros on the back of his victories without ever threatening King's Landing. If anything, Edward Bruce was even more successful. He was able to lead his army all the way to the capital in 1317. In an encounter reminiscent of the Battle of the Blackwater, the citizens of the city found themselves with the Anglo-Norman army, the Justicier Edmund Butler, just like Tywin Lannister, being then elsewhere, attempting to gather a new army. In his stead, the mayor of Dublin, Dublin, Robert de Nottingham, in a guise similar to Tyrion Lannister, took command of the city's defense. Like Tyrion, fire would be the mayor's main method to fight the aggressors. Tyrion attacked. Damn, that's cool. Yeah, nuts. Tyrion attacked Stannis Baratheon's ships using wildfire, but Robert de Nottingham's tactics were even more callous. To prevent Edward Bruce from using materials and cover provided by the residential area outside the city walls, Robert de Nottingham burned the St. Thomas area to the ground. And like Stannis's force, Bruce was awed by the fury of the fire. Instead of launching an assault, they turned south into Munster in an effort to bring Edmund, Bolt Edmund Butler to battle. As with the king in the north, Edward Bruce was victorious again and again in battle, but failed to win the war, being constantly forced back into the north, ironically, and away from the major cities and power centers. Edward failed spectacularly to win the political game and fell in battle in 1318 just outside Dundalk when faced by Edmund Butler and John de Birmingham. Crazy. I love Brutal. Game of Thrones and history. It's so cool. Yeah. There's so many things to talk about. So many parallels and historical nods. It's just never ending. Did you hear that? I think so. What was it? It was a white raven from the Citadel. Fuck. <laughs> Winter is here. Lord Matthew of House Rep. The Starks and Littlefinger's throat have a difficult relationship. <laughs> Both Ned and John choke him. Uncle Brandon cut him from the neck down, and Arya finishes it by slitting his throat. Damn, that's true. All the Starks have, have a go at Littlefinger's throat in one way or another. <laughs> 
Danny, of course, is called the Stormborn due to the horrific storm the night she came into the world. But she's not the only one who could have who could hold that title. Euron famously went mad at sea during a terrible storm, and his men had to tie him to the mast to stop him from jumping into the sea. Euron was reborn that night in the storm as the crazed pirate who thinks himself a god. And lastly, damn, I yeah, love that. Totally. And lastly, Nymeria. Fuck yeah. Nymeria. Nymeria. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Come in here. I'll save the motherfucking, motherfucking day. Yeah. 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 Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Was that it? Was that the end of it? <laughs> so lick my butt and suck on my balls. Oh my God. What the fuck just happened? That's uh, that, that would be the next line if you're continuing the. <laughs> you asked for more. Lady Sarah of House Larkham. Cersei, okay, so Sarah, Lady Sarah of House Larkham. Cersei is using propaganda and telling the lords that Daenerys is just like her father, the Mad King, dangerous, and will use her dragons to rule under an iron thumb to get what she wants. John getting a raven from Sam, telling him that there is a cache of dragon glass underneath Dragonstone, and getting a letter from Tyrion to pledge fealty to Daenerys instead of Cersei. John telling the Northern Houses that he has a plan to get the dragon glass and joins forces to hopefully defeat the Night King and his army. Sansa reminds John that going south will anger the Northern Houses and that their family hasn't served well for the family in the past. Hmm. Sansa is generally shocked when John announces that he will that she will lead in his place until he gets back from his adventure on Dragonstone to Dragonstone. Elena telling Daenerys that she has to think for herself and to not let other people make decisions for her was amazing and totally true because she is the one that wants the throne. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thanks for writing in lady Sarah. Yeah. Good to hear from you. Lord Brandon of house Ushery Hill. Since season one, Cersei hasn't left King's landing. I don't think she hasn't seen the world change. She has only heard. I think this is a big reason why Jamie has changed for the better. Lady Lucy of House Jane. I adore the interaction between Varys and Danny. I love both their honesty and refusal to back down from their beliefs. I equally despise Cersei's depiction of Danny. It's clever and is exactly what Tyrion says she will do. I hate that the master plan goes so wrong. And we know that what's going to happen. Valerian skull is so awesome. Mm -hmm. I know, right? It's amazing. So cool. I am reading the fire and blood at the moment. And it's so much more relevant now. Ooh, cool. I have a copy. Thanks to Sir Johnny of House Stower. I have not had a chance to start reading it, but I'm super excited. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Love seeing hot pie again. And I don't think I'd appreciate how impactful that meeting is. Would Arya have gone to King's Landing without that meeting? Yeah, I totally think she would have gone south. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, that that meeting definitely kicked her off to go north. The second she learned that John was at Winterfell, she was like, I'm out, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to see my brother. Yeah. I think that Grey Worm has a lovely bottom. I have to agree. It's a nice butt. Hmm. 
Arya's crap CGI breath when she met Nymeria really irritated me. It was so bad. Oh, I didn't notice. I'll have to yeah, look I didn't back either. at it. That's funny. But it was an amazing scene with the wolves. Great episode. Putting things in place. Ready for things to happen later in the series. Definitely a lot of story progression in this episode. Yeah, big time. Yeah, really good. Sir Patrick of Hindsight. So pay the fuck attention to Varys this time around, people. Danny swears that if he has a problem with her, he'd better say it to her face or she'll burn him alive. Three episodes from now, he'll be talking shit about her behind her back to Tyrion. The stuff he pressures Tyrion to bring up with Danny is the stuff that causes a rift between them in four episodes. Pay attention. Danny thanks him for bringing Dorne and the Reach into the fold. She also makes a mistake of discussing her plans around him. How does Euron find the ships so easily? Ooh. Remember, everything that occurs at, at the court in King's Landing is mere pageantry for the people to witness. Everything is discussed beforehand. Euron knows what Cersei wants, and she's already told him how to get it. Varys never lost his little birds. They now feed Cersei information that Varys tells them. You can call it tinfoil if you want, but just pay attention to what we're shown. Varys is told quite clearly not to complain about Danny behind her back. Don't forget this. Three episodes from now, he does exactly that. Pay attention! He's a spider! Good to hear from you, Sir Patrick. Thank you for writing in. Sir Christopher of House Cavero. I can't wait another month. I'll watch from the beginning of season six. Yeah, yeah that's probably a good place good plan. to start. Yeah, definitely. Really good spot nice. to start from. Everything starts accelerating so rapidly at season six. It's a really exciting point to jump in. At. Mm-hmm. Totally. Definitely. Nice. Well, thanks for writing in, everybody. Yeah, I love your feedback. Love to hear from you guys. Thank you so much. It's seriously, my favorite part. <laughs> totally. All right, that's our show, episode 104. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thanks, guys. We love you so much. Indeed. And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers, for announcing our show. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones. We'd like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lady Terry of House Theodore, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, Lord John of House Grills, and Luke the Low Duke. We love you guys, and thank you so much for your patronage. Yes, thanks guys so much. And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmaster Stitches. Go to Sirenicide.com and download it wherever you get your podcasts. We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Sky. Hi, Romancer. <laughs> she has been epic behind the scenes working to get our website, GameOfMicrophones.com, up and running. Yeah, thank you She's so much. She's also a super gifted artist. Oh, my God. Yep. you got to check out her amazingly illustrated children's book, The People You May See. It's one of my son's favorite. He still pulls it out every night, and he even talks about it when we're not reading stories. (laughs) (laughs) It's available now on Amazon.com, and it's Prime eligible. 
You can also check all of her work out at fineartsbylisa.com or on Instagram and Facebook slash fineartsbylisa. Thank you so much, Lady Lisa. Yes, thank you. We love you. Next episode, we'll be covering Season 7, Episode 3, The Queen's Justice. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. Instagram. Oh. You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. Likes, comments, and shares are also appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. Oh, and YouTube.com slash Game of Microphones. Yay! Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. I love Sansa, as I loved her mother. Touch my sister, and I'll kill you myself. I was there. I lived in the alleys. I lived in the gutters. I lived in the abandoned houses. I was mutilated. I was used for crazy magic. Um, I think he has alter- uh, ulterior motives. Like uh, marrying her. Yeah. That, yeah. He may have screwed himself over in that aspect too, by, by advising, by, by vouching for John later on, as we'll talk about and advising her to meet with him. He basically, um, friend zoned himself there. <laughs> Shot himself in the foot with that one. Yeah. As she's sort of viewed the spider as this evil puppet master, <laughs> you know, her whole life, basically she's heard horrible legends about this spider and, uh, they finally meet. And, oh, she's drawn into his web. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And we have Elena Martell, or not Elena Martell. <laughs> uh, close. Oh, my God. Martell Elena Tyrell. Brand, Braun, Pycelle, Martell Tyrell. <laughs> it's one of the tells, okay? <laughs> Hilaria's pissed. So she's like, so we're providing the armies. Yeah. He's like, yep, that's right, bitch. That's right. I mean, I was surprised that he didn't send the Unsullied and the Dothraki to Casterly Rock. Right. I guess he doesn't even want to take his own castle with um, with a foreign army yet <laughs> until they're that's true. Until the people are acclimated to Danny and know that she does have Westeros backing her but as they're, well. But they're going at it with the Unsullied. They're a foreign army. Oh, you know? right, right, right. Good call. Yes. They're, they're less like abrasive though you know like they wear armor they're not and, savages like, <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, they're 
Like, I hate using that word, but... They're less of an acquired taste. Jorah Mormont, you are not going to die tonight. I just wrote, Jorah gets flayed by Sam. (laughs) Ebros tells him that the infection has just spread way too far. Basically, you should have cut your arm off, like, when it first happened, which I thought was interesting. Right. (laughs) It's like... Maybe he should have. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be like Walking Dead style. You get bit, you gotta cut your arm off like you immediately. Gotta, like, saw your own arm off. Yeah. Oh my god! So Jorah, he's like, damn, he's like, fuck. And Sam's like, um, excuse me, pardon, March Ar- Archmaster. <laughs> have you studied the varying rates of grayscale progression in infants to fully grown men? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> I gotcha. We're on the same page. Yeah, I.e. kill yourself, bro. He's like, if you're if you're gonna write, you gotta do the research, but but you if, if you want people to read it, you also need to add a bit of style, you know? He's like, I'm not writing my book, The Chronicles of the Wars Following the Death of King Robert the First, so it can sit on a shelf unread. In this book called The Study of Rare Diseases by Archmaster Pylos, uh, he has a procedure that he recommends and Ebros is like, <laughs> it's like, you want to know how that motherfucker died? Grayscale, bitch. Good luck. Oh my God. <laughs> Samwell opens the door and rolls in a cart filled with all this like medical shit. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a woman. Very it's interesting. Going to be. There's possible. no other reason for this translation. Right. So there's the story of Azora High where he does all these things trying to temper his blade Lightbringer, right? Forges it, spending a hundred days hammering, heating, hammering, and folding, and heating and hammering and folding, repeating over and over to to forge this amazing blade and to temper it. He calls his wife, Nissa Nissa, and asks her to bear her breast. And she does it. And he apologizes, but she she willingly allows him to sacrifice her to temper the the legendary blade Lightbringer. And he thrusts it through her heart and her cry of agony and ecstasy sends a crack through the face of the moon. And thus the creation of Lightbringer has occurred. So if we're looking for modern parallels. So it cracks the moon because doesn't one of Danny's girls, I forget her name, the one that has sex with Viserys G-Qui in the bathtub. or one of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it talks about the birth of the dragons, right? Dragons came yeah, from the moon. That the, the moon cracked and a thousand thousand dragons poured out of it. Yes, excellent point. That could be a coded connection to Danan, to Danny being Azora High. Tyrion's ears perk up, you know, and he turns Jon Snow. Ned Stark's, Stark's bastard. bastard? <laughs> he's a he's a, a Stark, you know, like well, he's really a Targaryen, but he was raised by the Starks, so so, um, unfortunately, this also, as I was mentioning earlier, puts himself, Tyrion, squarely in the friend zone <laughs> by suggesting <laughs> yeah. that she meets Jon Snow. Jon Snow hates this bitch. Yes. I cook with brown butter a lot. She's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do that. You've been making pies? <laughs> <laughs> One or two. <laughs> Frey pies. Oh! Oh my God, I didn't even... <laughs> didn't even catch that. Oh, that's so <laughs> yeah, funny. She's talking about how she baked up Blackwalder <laughs> and, and what's his face? Lothar. I was wondering about that. I was like, when would she have made pies? <laughs> and here she's, she's like missing him. It seems like she's really like. In a place where she first started to hate him. Yeah. Yeah. True. This, this is, is where he where killed, he killed the, the butcher's boy. 
Oh my God. Amazing. Well, I thought you'd be heading to Winterfell. Why the hell would I go there? I'm surprised you didn't say winter hell. Oh, winter hell. Oh my God. That's so funny. I totally forgot about that. And so, um, Baelish comes out of the shadows and he's like, I delivered his bones myself. <laughs> Talking about Ned, Ned's bones. Oh my God. John is just not having any of this. He turns around like, like fucking Mike Tyson or something with his hand swinging through the air and just in one motion, just like whack grabs little finger, like punch grabs his throat and just slams him against it. the wall. Yeah. I love it. Everybody's shitting on Littlefinger. I love it. Like, go fuck yourself. Yeah, and soon when Brand Computer shows up, they're going to have all the inside information about how Littlefinger has been behind everything from the beginning. Downloading Littlefinger data. (laughs) Initiate (laughs) Operation Littlefinger Exposure. Littlefinger WikiLeaks type of thing. (laughs) WikiLeaks. Brand is like the WikiLeaks guy. Brand Assange. (laughs) Like Tyrion is advising Danny, the queen, sticking up for John, Sansa is advising John, the king, sticking up for Tyrion. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> a awesome. cool little parallel. So Danny needs John and the North to cement the rule of the Seven Kingdoms, and John needs Danny and her dragons to defeat the White Walkers and the Undead Army. I would have preferred the book version of the throne, which is like 30 feet tall and made with like 2,000 swords or something ridiculous. Oh, yeah. It's like a. It's, it's, it's like there's steps up to it too. Yeah, it's really, all, really tall. Yeah, it's so you have to like crazy. walk up to it. You like walk up steps made of swords and shit. Yeah. Doing her whole propaganda thing here. And we see Randall and Dickon. <laughs> the Tarleys. Dickon. We are currently working on a solution. Yeah. So ominous since we've seen his past solutions already. We've seen the Franken Mountain, which is a terrifying solution to a problem. We've seen the, the wildfire explosion at the Sept, which is another terrifying solution to a problem. So Kyburn is, uh, his solutions are pretty fucked up. That's what we know. Yes. If any, of course, if anybody's going to side with Cersei, it's going to be Randall Tarly, right? Randall Tarly. The two, like, worst people around. <laughs> and yeah. you're on Greyjoy. Next, the Night King <laughs> will join up with them, and it'll be like the fucking dream team of nice. evil. <laughs> Don't do that to Balerion, man. That's not cool. So it's just really good to see that come to fruition and to see them both be accepting of each other and um, making do with what they have, basically, <laughs> or don't have. Do or don't, but they uh, still did many things. Yep, totally. Yara, like, completely changes gears from, like, getting ready to get down with Alaria. From bounce to bow to just... It was Tyene that was Alaria's yep. daughter. Like, biological yeah, daughter. Whip, so we got Obara, who's, you know, whose mother was the nameless crying girl. We've got Tyene, whose mother is Alaria. And then we've got Lady Nim, who's the whip girl. <laughs> Nymeria. Fuck, she's dead. She's done for. And he rams her her own spear through her stomach and lifts her off the ground. Oh, oh my god. Vicious. So intense. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.